0: This episode, Justice League America number 34 and Justice League Europe number 10, cover dated January 1990. Welcome to the 34th episode of Justice League International Wahaha Podcast, a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. My name's the Eardamal Shag, and I'm your host. But guess what? I brought along some friends. Yeah, yeah, you know I did. In fact, each episode, I invite different guest hosts to help me tackle a couple issues of JLI. Now, we'll chat with my other co-hosts a little bit later. And yes, I did say co-hosts, plural, but for now, my first co-host today is an accomplished commercial artist, an award-winning comic strip writer, a book editor, a movie reviewer, a podcaster, a writer of blogs, and a world-class authority on Aquaman. He also happens to have been my podcasting life partner every week for the past nine years. And like any long-lasting relationship, you either love your partner a little more every day or... Or the alternatives you end up bickering like an old married couple. I'll let you guess which way this relationship has gone. Folks, please help me welcome Mr. Rob Kelly. Welcome to the New York Embassy, Rob. Thanks for being here, buddy. How you
1: doing? I'm doing great and thank you for having me on the show, Shang. <laughs> I'm happy to have you, Rob. Know, what, what are you laughing at? I just I didn't, was I funny? I don't understand. Uh,
0: there, there's a long-standing joke between Rob and I, folks. Uh, as I said in the intro, Rob has been my podcasting partner for nine years. If you're an avid JLI podcast listener and you don't listen to anything else on the network, you might not know who Rob Kelly is because, I mean, he's kind of a nobody. But uh, if you happen to listen to a lot of shows on the network, he's everywhere. And he and I literally do a show every week for the network. It's been four years now this show's been going and Rob has not been like an official guest. He was on one episode where we talked about a specific niche thing, but this is the first time he's really done an issue. So he's always been teasing me about the fact that he never gets to be on the show. And uh, not it's, just it's that. finally Wait here. Wait a minute.
1: Let's not, let, not just that I haven't been on the show and that you have been on all of my solo shows <laughs> and I have not been on your solo show. Yeah, you're leaving out important context, Shay.
0: Well, to be fair though, the very, very first spinoff show we ever had on our network was called Film and Water. It's a little podcast where Rob does about movies. It's not little, I'm just kidding. It's a fantastic show he does about movies. And he did not invite me to be a guest until the 19th episode. In fact, I had to push my way in to get on. That was a Star Wars one. And so I was I was so mad at him. I mean, not really. But I, I threw a tantrum, I'm like, 19 episodes and you finally invite me? You know what? I have my own show. I'm not going to have you on for years. So I felt I needed to hold myself to that promise. Also, this is a pretty Aquaman-heavy issue. So honestly, when the JLI podcast was first uh, just a, an idea in, in the cradle there, uh, we decided that this would be the episode Rob would be on. On. But it's been fun to tease for four years for him not being on the show. I mean, I've had like 50 other – I counted I've had like 50 other guests before you, Rob. So uh, it's nice to finally have you here.
1: I have to say I, I do appreciate your kind of – as a podcaster, you're sort of counter-programming here because you're other guests to this episode of The Sutherlands, correct?
0: Uh, the spoilers, but yes, you're correct.
1: Okay. So, I mean, obviously everybody knows that that segment with The Sutherlands, they're very argumentative. They're very mean-spirited people. <laughs> So it was nice that you're balancing it with a very nice light segment with what I'm here for. So that's a very smart move on you as a podcast. Well,
0: thank you. I, I perfectly orchestrated that way. I wanted to have, you know, one segment being nice and, and friendly and the other segment being nasty and contentious. That's exactly. exactly what I planned. You might have that a little backwards, but yeah.
1: Yeah. For those of you out there that are never podcasted with the Sutherland, you have to edit out so much profanity. It's just amazing. <laughs>
0: Oh, my gosh. And uh, should we even get into the fact that they're actually contract killers? I mean, do we even tell people that or not? I No, wait. That's not – never mind. You, you didn't hear that from us.
1: Wait, where's the, Why is this red dot on my forehead? What's going on? <laughs> all
0: right, folks. Well, it is, again, very exciting to have Rob here. But what's going to happen is Rob and I are going to sit here and do all these inside jokes that you people have no idea what we're talking about. So we are going to get rolling. First off, we're going to take a second to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of the Justice League International podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrade. InStockTrades.com. In trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, each episode, we select a collected edition to briefly discuss from the in Stock Trades library, and it's going to tie into this episode in some way, shape, or fashion. Now, Rob, I know that the whole shilling for another company like in Stock Trades is probably a completely new concept for you, but uh, all the other cool kids have brought a recommendation. Did you happen to? Yes, I did. Well, I'm so proud of you.
1: (laughs) Oh, you want me to tell you what it is? For goodness sakes, why do you think you're here? <laughs> so, yeah, you Mom- had one job, Rob Kelly. <laughs> one freaking job. I've been very funny. I think that's, I've already fulfilled that obligation, but okay. <laughs> Let
0: me know when that starts.
1: <laughs> yeah. Since this uh, episode, this story obviously features Aquaman in a more lighthearted adventure, I decided to stick with that theme. Not that there's that many choices out there because Aquaman generally doesn't appear in funny comics, but <laughs> there was the time he teamed up with Jabberjaw because, yes, that was a thing. So, uh, what <laughs> trades my my stock trades, pick is the DC meets Hanna Barbera trade paperback volume two, which reprints the Flash Speed Buggy team up, the Super Sons Dinomutt special, Black Lightning Hong Kong Fuyi, and Aquaman and Jabberjaw. The writer for that story is Dan Abnett. The artist is Paul Pelletier. The cover artist is Doug Mankey. It's a page count is actually, I actually don't know what the page count is. It Doesn't say it here in In Stock Trades, but it's probably like a couple of hundred pages. The normal price is sixteen ninety nine. In Stock tr- Trades price nine dollars and eighty five cents. That's forty two percent off. So I have not read these other Hanna-Barbera team-ups, but if they're as good as the Aquaman Jabberjaw one, then this is probably a great book, because you and I both really enjoyed that comic.
0: We really did. I, uh, when I first saw those things solicited, like way back whenever that was a couple years ago, I kind of turned up my nose. I'm like, oh, oh, geez, Hanna-Barbera, DC character, that's not going to be any good. And then I saw the writers. I'm like, oh, Dan Abnett, the guy who's writing Aquaman. Hmm, all right, that's interesting. And then that was a lot of fun. So I actually picked up quite a few of these, and they're almost all of them are super fun. So uh, I, I, I would second Uh, that endorsement for that book. It's a lot of fun, folks. You should definitely get it if you haven't read those things. My pick is Aquaman, the Legend of Aquaman trade paperback. Now, uh, this thing is out there in in trades. It tells you what's in here, but let me tell you, this description is seven kinds of wrong, okay? So don't bother reading the description. Just listen to what I got to tell you. This thing includes the Legend of Aquaman uh, special, which uh, retells Aquaman's post-crisis origin, and it also includes Aquaman number one through five from 1989. These was the uh, the Keith Giffen, Robert Lauren Fleming uh, written pieces with art by Kurt Swan. And part of the reason I picked it is because actually that's where this comic comes in we're going to cover today. This just... Justice League comic, because Aquaman, you know, after Post-Crisis, he gets his re-or- origin retold. That he has that miniseries, and then, bam, goes straight to this Justice League comic. So it's like a perfect segue. This leads right into the other. Now, is that miniseries fantastic? Mm-hmm. Some things to like about it, some things not. I do love the Legend of Aquaman special. I think it's fantastic. And so I, I really like the post-crisis origin. Rob's all fuddy-duddy and likes his Silver Age version, whatever. But I like the post-crisis <laughs> version, and I, I'm a big fan of it. So again, don't read the description because it rambles on about the Peter David version, which is not in here. It gives the wrong name to the special. All of this is just terribly wrong. So anyway, it's 168 pages, full color. Normally retails for $19.99, but you can get on in-stock trades right now for 42% off, so it's only $11.59. So well worth your read. Uh, well worth it. So folks, for these and all your trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now, this episode of the Just League International podcast is also sponsored in part with your Patreon support, because, you know, running the network with so many shows and Rob's terrible gambling debt requires a whole lot of online hosting, a lot of other fees that are involved in basically not getting Rob's legs broken. So... uh, I have a system. (laughs) It's all tied into the theme of this issue. You see where I'm going? Anyway, since we launched the network, you know, the hosts have just absorbed those costs, and unfortunately, our costs got raised considerably due to the amount of content we put out there. So we had to reach out for some help and we started the Patreon and you guys stepped up and it were absolutely amazing. We launched it actually a year ago this month, believe it or not. And without you, I can tell you the Firewater Podcast Network could not still be here, uh, without a doubt. So thank you to everyone who supported us on Patreon. If you're interested in supporting a show like JLI Podcast, the best way to do it is go out to our website, which is patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And uh, at certain levels, you'll get recognized on your favorite show of choice. For example, these folks help support the Justice League International Podcast. Our thanks to Bill Beer, Chris Lewis, David Ace Goody, Sierras, Devin Clancy, George William, Gord Tolton, John Ross Haynes, Martin Gray, Matt Ev, Maxwell Traver, Roger Priebe, Rudy Castillo, and Sean Ross. Our thanks to those folks and everyone who supports us on Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com slash Podcast. All right, folks. Now, we are going to get into Justice League America number 34, and we want your opinions. I mean, this is a massively famous issue. This is a big, important one here. So go out on the social medias. Use our hashtag podcast, or tag us at jlipodcast. I mean, you know, we're on Facebook as Justice League International, blah, 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 blah podcast. We want your opinions. We want to know what you think about this cover, the issue inside, anything about it. uh, Just make fun of Rob. It's easy. It's it's like shooting fish in a barrel. So as always, what it's really is all about building a community of online JLI fans around this show. All right, folks. Now, this is the part of the show where we chat with a guest. And unfortunately, I do this every freaking week with this guy. So uh, hopefully you'll get more out of this than I will. But anyway, all right, Rob, just like everybody else, why don't you tell us your personal origin story with the Justice League International book? How'd you discover it? Uh, what made you eventually fall in love with it?
1: Well, there was no real discovering it. I mean, it was thrust upon me because, as everybody knows pretty much that's ever listened to any of our shows, the uh, Fire and Water shows, Justice League of America, the original series, was my favorite comic book of all time. I never missed an issue. And so and uh, the, on the letters page of the final issue, there is a reproduction of the cover to Justice League number one. And it literally says next month, uh, which yep. was something that comics didn't do a lot of back Then they really didn't do a lot of that kind of stuff where it was like, Hey, here's the very, you know, they didn't have like the cover art. They a lot of times they would just do it in text or something, but they wanted to, you know, really promote this. And look, we've already discussed in other episodes of Fire and Water our mixed feelings about Justice League Detroit. At the time, I was very, very unhappy with how the book was going and how it wrapped up. I felt that it was a great series that was just J.M. DeMatteis writing aside, uh, the book was just really uh, not given the respect it deserved as it was going out the going out the door that said uh you know showing that cover that amazing cover that iconic cover that want to make something of it cover featuring all those great characters it really did feel like ah yes dc is bringing this book back to the heights that it belongs and so i was super excited to be able to see you know, the very next month we're going to get a new version of the team and it was great and so i started buying it right then and i didn't stop for many years
0: so did you love it instantly How, how'd you feel about the humor
1: I loved it instantly. I thought it was great. Yes, I I enjoyed the humor. I thought it was, I thought it was a very, very funny book. Uh, my thoughts about how I thought it maybe went off the rails a little bit later on aside, uh, the first, I would say, the first 20 issues of the book, or 25, I think are masterful and I just think they were great and I love the fact that it was, the again, the marquee characters, Dr. Fate, Batman, Captain Marvel, Black Canary, you know, not Steel and Vibe, you know, so, uh <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you' I'll t- I will tell you this 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 story, and I'll make it as brief as possible. Um, generally, uh, I went to the comic shop like once a week. Because this was was 1980, what seven? The book started, Uh, or 87
0: when it launched? Yeah,
1: okay, 87. So I, I, I was not dry. I was still 16. I didn't have my driver's license then, and so I had to rely on my parents to to get me around. And normally, I would we would do our once a week regular trip, but uh, I couldn't wait to get this book. I could not wait till the normal trip. So I begged my father to take me to the mall, which was the nearest comic shop where they had a Heroes World, R.I.P. and I went into the Heroes world literally just to buy this first issue because I could not wait. I was like, I need to read this right now. And I still can remember walking with my dad into there and walking to the back of the store because the first like two thirds of the store was all toys and stuff. And then the back part was the comic rack. And I went, found it, and it was so exciting because it was like, finally, this book is going to be back to you know what I want it to be.
0: That's awesome. I'm so glad you were there on the ground floor. It's so nice to hear that you, you made your parents make a special trip to go get it. Because the, the book is the book's magical. It is. And now to have a memory attached with it, uh, that's fantastic. Now, there's a story here, folks. Also, Rob is not just a fan of the Just League International. Rob is not just a fan of the Just League in general. Prior to Rob being on the show, we you know we interviewed Jam D Mateus. It's been a couple of years now uh, as the writer of the book. And now we actually have a chance to sit down at this exact moment and talk with one of the artists on the Justice League International book. Rob, you have a story to tell. All right. You've
1: you're, you're really oversold this, but okay. Uh, <laughs> yes. As, as only a few people know, because I don't talk about it a lot, I went to the Joe Kubert School of Cartoon and Graphic Art. and If I'd uh, known
0: that, I would have put that in your intro.
1: <laughs> exactly. And during my first year there, I lived in uh, the, a dorm a house, uh, which, uh, which was sort of a dorm called the Clinton House, this decrepit building. It makes the, the House of Secrets look nice. I mean, and and, and uh, So so two days a week one of the instructors stayed with us because he taught on Thursdays and Fridays and he just stayed with us overnight on Thursdays. And that instructor was the legendary inker penciler Tex Blaisdell. I don't have to go into his credits. He worked on a million different things. Uh, he worked on the Joker series in the 70s. There was, he did a lot of inking work. He worked on Little Orphan Annie, I believe. He did lot, just an amazing, amazing career. And he was this wonderfully garaged Old timey guy, I kind of talk like this a little bit. I'm, I'm exaggerating it, but not by <laughs> a lot. And he was big and gangly, and he chain smoked, and he was just a really and he had amazing stories. He would just tell us all sorts of stories about you know what it was like because he was friends with all these legendary people. He was friends with Joe Kubert. He was friends with Wally Wood. You know, he was f- friends oh, with wow. uh, like Leonard Starr and friends with Alex Raymond. I mean, it was just crazy. Oh, so we wow. and we would right, and we would sit in the kitchen as he chain smoked and worked on whatever he was working on uh, and ate his yogurt and uh, would just he would just regale us with stories. So anyway, at one point during uh, the, in in this would have been 1990, uh, he was doing backgrounds. I think. He was doing a lot of background work. And for, for people who don't understand what that is, sometimes comic books will hire a separate inker or artist to just do the backgrounds. That generally means it's a book that's slightly behind and so they want to have multiple artists working on it simultaneously and they maybe don't want to get the penciler bogged down in drawing buildings so they hire somebody else to do all that stuff in the background. Background. And so at this point, Tex was doing a lot of inking work in the background and he was working on this justice league annual. And he was sitting there with this page on his lapboard. And I came into the kitchen to do something. And, um, he was like, "Hey there, Robert." I'm like, "Hey, hey, Tex, what's going on?" And he says, "Uh, he's like, uh, and and so I went around behind him, and I'm like, oh, I'm looking at this page, and it was cool because it was a book that I was going to be buying because it was just as, It wasn't like it was some series that I would not normally be buying. It's like, oh, I'll be buying this comic one day, so it was cool to see a page uh, mm-hmm. uh, right in front of me. I wasn't the first time I'd ever seen such a thing, but it was still pretty neat. Anyway, Tex says, "Hey, uh, Robert, I gotta go take a leap. Uh, <laughs> do you what do you, you want to finish this panel for me?" And I'm like, "What?" What <laughs> are you know, talking about? And he sits me down, and he takes, he hands me the his ink pen. And there was only like it was this this panel featuring this sign, the sign that is that has fallen. I forget which villain it is is in the panel. I think it's Major Disaster. But anyway, it was a lot of snowdrifts.
0: This is Justice League International Annual Number Four, guys. There this is go. Justice League Antarctica. This is one a go. beloved beloved comic book,
1: right? And it's the scene. It's got this pen with all these snowdrifts in it, and so he there's a bunch of lines. Lines that are not yet inked, so they're still in pencil. And he says, "Why don't you just finish it off? Just do this." And do-. and he's kind of like gesturing, showing me what to do. And I'm like, "Um, okay, um, okay, all right." <laughs> you now I sit down, and this is the first time I have ever touched a professional comic book page. I've never done this before. And he goes and goes into the bathroom, and and, and I'm in there, and I ink. I don't know. Probably my hand is, you know, shaking practically uncontrollably. Uh, and I ink. I ink probably. I don't know, 10 to 15 lines. Maybe I don't really remember. And, and I'm like, so petrified that I'm going to mess it up or that worse yet, the ink pen is going to get caught on a grain of the paper. and going to blob the ink, which would be nightmarish. Mm. But anyway, but that doesn't happen. Text comes out, he lights up another cigarette because that's what he did. And he looks at it and he's like, good job, Robert. Thanks. And he sits back down and I walk out of the room and I then had literally some of my ink lines were going to be in a professionally published comic book and they were and that book exists you know there it is I mean the book came out and I immediately ran right to that page and I'm like yeah I mean text didn't undo my work or anything It just left it the way it is you can't tell because I the lines are indistinct from all the other background but nevertheless I can look at that panel and remember what lines I inked from it so you know that there's my I my names not in it, of course but nevertheless I knew and everybody in the house knew that I touched a page Age of Justice League.
0: That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And and folks, just so you know, when we get to that issue, you're going to hear this story again. Because I can't not have it told again. That is absolutely amazing, Rob. Oh, you've told me that story once or twice on other shows, and I, it just it, it almost gives me goosebumps. It's just so exciting that you got to do that. And especially for, you know a book that you love so much, and a book that I love so much. So, that's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that.
1: You're welcome. It's it's the basis of my TED Talk as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of chances. ha <laughs>
0: ha! Well, uh, let's get into this, folks. Uh, and I, you know, as you sit here and talk about, I do wonder now this book because one of my comments about this issue is the backgrounds are absolutely exquisite, and I can't help but wonder. I'm like, huh? I wonder if Adam Hughes had background help. Hmm, I don't know. So, uh, folks, uh, we are, as we talk about this gorgeous, gorgeous book, we are going to post some of the images on our image gallery, and that's at fireandwaterpodcast.com slash JLI, and there you can go and see some of the images there, uh, although I do recommend, if you want to read it, you know, obviously you can pick up a paper copy, sure, but it is a little hard to get it digitally, because DC Comics has reprinted it as part of some collections, but if I remo- recall correctly, I don't think you can buy this individual issue right now. I think you got to buy it as part of Volume 6 of the collection, so check that out, the Just international it's it's well worth it because it's absolutely stunning uh, reprinted reprinted digitally recolored and everything it's beautiful All right, so this is Justice League America number 34 from DC Comics, cover dated January 1990. Yeah, we're in the 90s, but not exactly, because it was on the shelves November 14th, 1989. Cover price was $1 for Shiny Quarters, and it is drawn by the amazing Adam Hughes. Now, Rob, why don't you tell us a little bit about the cover? Okay,
1: this cover is, to me, literally like having your cheesecake and eating it, too, uh, because (laughs) it features, you know... Yeah, I mean, it features an amazing... Piece of good girl art by Adam Hughes, who, of course, is one of the best guys ever to do it, with fire and her uh, pendulous breasts right in the foreground. But at the same time, the look on her face reveals that she understands uh, that she is sort of being objectified at the same time. So uh, the cover is, is being... Cheesecake, but it's also winking that it is cheesecake, and so mm-hmm. I, I like it a lot. I am I am a little disappointed that in this three part Aquaman crossover, he doesn't get a cover at all. Like I, you know, I mean, I know he's on the cover in the next issue, like very briefly, but like I, I would have killed to have seen an Adam Hughes Aquaman cover, but we didn't get that. But nevertheless, this is a great. It's a great drawing. It's very funny, and I like all the logo treatment is fantastic. I love that the logo was done in the bamboo style. Like that's a nice touch. They went meet the extra. Effort effort to make it look like it's woodcut, uh, I think is great. And uh, so it's, it's a really fun cover.
0: So what you've got is in the foreground you've got Beetle and Booster. They're they're chilling out uh, stunning themselves and in fact they're not even wearing their costumes. They're just wearing their trunks and their masks so it's ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous that they're still wearing their masks and, and sunbathing and you've already described fire. So behind them you've got Maxwell Lord who is livid and he's just he's coming at them he's got his briefcase in the air like he's going to kill him but Batman and Martian Manhunter are holding him back and you know if it takes the strength of Martian Manhunter to hold you back you know a regular human has got to be pissed off. And then also. on the other side, you've got Big Sur and uh, Major Disaster sneaking away with giant bags of money. And it says Island Life because this is all about the Club JLI. And for me, it's it's kind of funny because you know when you do a podcast, you have to study stuff pretty closely. You got to look at it a lot closer than you normally do. I've owned this comic for I don't know thirty years or so. I have never noticed Big Sir in major disaster in the background sneaking away until prepping for this episode. What? Now with fire in the front, I, with fire in the front, I can't imagine why I might have missed it. But uh, <laughs> I swear I didn't notice it. I, my eyes were probably drawn somewhere else. And uh, Also, this cover. While it's super fun, it is not representative of a scene that actually happens in the comic. That's part of the reason I love it, is that, you know, Beetle and Booster never appear this way in the comic with just their masks on. In fact, this cover has become so recognizable, uh, and, and yet they've never looked this way. Is I've actually seen cosplay of guys uh, as Beetle and Booster with just the masks in sort of beach wear. So that's wow. how far this sort of, it's gone from just a cover, not even in the issue, to being that famous. And then um, my particular issue i do have to brag a bit here my particular copy i'm holding in my hands here uh it has some uh, smudges on here and these smudges are in fact the signature of keith giffen and the signature of adam hughes so that's pretty exciting uh but i cannot personally claim credit for this this is an incredibly generous gift from our buddy dr Ange, who got their signatures at convention and sent this to me as a gift because he's just awesome so question is this one of the most iconic covers of justice league or just a good cover
1: uh, well, it sounds like it's one of the most iconic if you've got people cosplaying from it. But uh, yeah, I think it's a marvelous cover. I, I can't believe you never noticed the two villains. I mean, I know fire is gorgeous, but still. I love that they're carrying bags of money literally with money signs on them. Like it's a right. Warner Brothers cartoon. That's fantastic. Right. My, my one question to you is, do you wonder why UPC cover symbol? Does your version have that?
0: Well, my, it's dead square in the middle, uh, right. on the why, bottom.
1: Why is it in the middle? Why, I wonder why it's in the middle. Why isn't it in the, the corner like it normally is?
0: That's a good question. It's weird. Maybe... I'm just you know hypothesizing here. Is they didn't want to cover up Beatles uh, Beetle boxers? I don't know because he's wearing boxers like her bathing suit and it's got Beatles on. I, it, it's a very strange placement for it. You're right. Yeah. Now mine it, mine doesn't actually have the UPC. It's got the JLI logo because uh, it was direct market. But uh, yeah, what a strange place. I don't know. And are you really that surprised? I was that distracted by fire. I didn't notice the background. I mean, you've known me a long time now. Come on.
1: Well, but I mean, again, I, I, this relates to that and that the UPC box is covering up part of her skin, which it seems like a. a The dumb idea to cover up any part of a woman drawing a woman drawing by adam hughes (laughs)
0: i'm really glad you took the time to mention her face her face is absolutely perfect she is just she is over this and she is not having this and it's absolutely the perfect way to sell this you're right uh so good all right, well, we're to get into this, folks. So the plot is by Keith Giffen, script by JMD Mateus, Penciler is Adam Hughes. Inker is Art Nichols. Letter is Bob LePan, Colorist is Gene D'Angelo. Assistant editor is Kevin Dooley. And editor is Andy Helfer. The issue itself is called Club JLI. And I'll start off the recap here. The supervillains, Major Disaster and Big Sur of the Injustice League, are back in the United States, and they are flat broke. Major Disaster stumbles upon the idea of using Big Sur's knack for counting cards. He wants to use that to get rich at a casino. Specifically, a casino called Club JLI, which bills itself as the ultimate in gaming, gambling, and fun in the sun. It's a brand new casino and Justice League-themed resort built on the island of Kahui, 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 and financed by, quote, the Blue and Gold Entertainment Group. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in New York, Max Lord is angry about Booster and Beetle's latest hijinks when Batman asks the most logical question, quote, where did they get the money to fund this fiasco? Well, sure enough, Max discovers that Beetle and Booster embezzled all the money from the JLI bank accounts to fund Club JLI. As you would imagine, Max is not exactly happy about this situation. Uh, on Kahui Kahui Kahui, Booster and Beetle are thrilled with the island paradise that was constructed by Kilowak in just three days. They are convinced this new scheme is going to make them rich. They'll be able to pay back all the JLI borrowed funds before Max even notices.
1: About this time, Major Disaster and Big Sur arrive on the island via the JLI transporter, but since they are in civilian clothes, they are not recognized by Beetle or anyone else. Uh, the villains then make their way to the casino and promptly break the bank using Big Sur's ability to count cards. we counting cards. for counting cards. So much that Club <laughs> JLI has to empty the soda machines just to pay off their winnings. About the same time, Aquaman arrives at Club JLI, king of the seven seas and one of the founding members of the original Justice League. Aquaman has come to warn the blue and the gold that the island of Kui Kui Kui, the island itself, really, is actually alive and not happy. All the recent construction on the island has disturbed it and woken it up. This is demonstrated as the island detaches itself from the ocean floor and begins to travel across the seas. This results in an earthquake that damages the resort and causes major disaster and Big Sur to accidentally lose all their casino winnings into the sea. This issue ends on a cliffhanger or an island hangar where everyone is trapped on the runaway island heading for parts unknown. The Kui 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 chief admits that he always knew that the island was alive and he's just trusting the island will go with the flow.
0: And it says next issue no man is an island but Kahui 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 is. So all right well this issue is an absolute classic as far as I'm concerned I absolutely love this thing top to bottom but what did you think of this one buddy?
1: Well I, look I love it. it it's a it's a fun caper um, I said earlier that I thought the JLI as a book got a little too silly at, at certain points but the stuff that I didn't like is when it went on like a, a mission, and it became goofy. That part didn't appeal to me as much. This is feels like a backdoor pilot to the blue and the gold TV show. You know, oh, where it's yeah. like they, oh, you know, yeah. the, where they run an island. That's the, you know, it really is, a, you know, it really is like Golden Palace or something where they're going to form an. So I like the fact that yes, this is one of the more silly storylines in the book's history, but because it takes place completely away from the normal sort of JLI world, it works a lot better. And I, of course, I love the fact that Aquaman is in it because I waited for y- literally years for Aquaman to show up in this title. But the thing I like most is that while the story remains silly and funny or whatever I like that Aquaman is not the butt of the joke and what I mean is not that you can't make him the butt of a joke like literal but I like that Aquaman doesn't act silly Aquaman acts like Aquaman like I would expect him to act in this world and I really like that take on him that that they didn't sort of like drag him down a little bit that actually he's Aquaman like you would expect him to act and that's what I really like plus he's drawn by Adam Hughes which I didn't get to see very much and he just looks magnificent
0: he really does he really does if you didn't See the last page of the previous issue, Rob. Uh, I mean, oh, I knew you would have at the time.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great image that single page. Oh my image, god, it's yeah.
0: amazing. I, I I will challenge you a bit. I would say that this Aquaman is a little bit different. Um, I would say he's not the traditional Bronze Age Aquaman, which was kind of. I mean, I knew he had his moments of anger, but he was kind of everybody's buddy. I would say this is like the the angry post crisis, you know, but not bef- not the Peter David angry version, but the the one in between where he was angry about environmental issues. He was angry about people screwing up the oceans, and I think that's the version we're seeing here because. There is no, there's no nice Aquaman here. He's just pissed, uh, and understandably so. And I'm okay with that, but I just don't know if that is, is that a version that you're comfortable with?
1: Yeah, because the, the the Silver Age Aquaman did a lot of that. I mean, like he, a lot of those Brave and the Bold team ups you and I covered, where he was like constantly he like belted Batman in every issue. I mean,
0: <laughs> he yeah, was true. definitely
1: he was definitely angry when they wanted to write him that way and stuff. So I, I plus I kind of like that the idea that some of the classic jail layers don't like this new iteration of the team like they did that for hawkman that he just finds that this new version of the team is kind of a disgrace uh and it, it you know so soils the memory of the, the the team that he was part of and i think that Aquaman is definitely on that side of it like he's just like what what are these bunch of clowns doing i think that he's probably got some sort of just sort of a residual anger that the justice league that he knew of is no more and it's he's a bunch of goofballs.
0: It's sort of interesting that there was that feeling that these were the goofy ones. These were the guys who came, you know, the not ready for primetime players of the Justice League. And yet, the sales on this book, especially at the, around this point, were just astronomical. They were huge. It was so popular. They got a spinoff for the first time ever out of Justice League. And now, they, at this point again, it's so popular. They're about to get a second spinoff of Justice League Quarterly. So, while well, a lot of people point to this era, and you brought it up a minute ago about you felt it was too jokey or whatever, clearly it was popular popular. Clearly it was selling. And for people who said this the the comics was too jokey, I mean, you said it here about this particular issue. This comic is damn funny. I mean, it is genuinely hilarious. I don't know. I mean, I know that this is kind of a bit of a turning point because it does get a little sillier from here. But again, if when, when it's this good, it's gold. It's absolute gold. I love it.
1: Well, I just mean, like I said, it, I, I think this one works better because the setting is so different. And that's what yeah. I think that's what makes it work.
0: That's fair. That's fair. So one of the things in rereading this comic that is sort of forgotten is the mindset of the of the 1980s. You know, this is a fun story. Certainly, everyone kind of understands the concept of a beach resort. But the, the people who come to it that are younger or maybe those of us that are old and the memory have gone. I mean, Rob's I mean, goodness gracious, he can barely even remember to tie his own shoes. Um in the 80s, there was a massive fascination with Club Med, you know, from Mediterranean. It was massively... People talked about it all the time. It was in all kinds of pop culture stuff like that. So the idea of doing a Club JLI was actually a play off of that, and that might be an idea that's kind of forgotten. And what came to mind for me specifically, and this is just because I'm a big old dork, was in 1979, they did the second reunion movie with the Gilligan's Island cast, and they brought them together, and in that episode, they, of course, you know, they're on the island, there's some goofy hijinks happen, and they get rescued. Now, they got rescued in the first reunion movie, too, but they screwed that up and ended back on the island. In the second one, they get rescued, and they decide to stay on the island and build a resort. And they are the people that work in the resort and promote the resort. And so it's, it's almost like a Fantasy Island kind of goofball thing. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of this. You know, it's a situational comedy in a tropical resort uh, sort of setting. So it, um, that's what comes to mind for me. I don't. Did you ever see that thing?
1: I, I'm sure I did because I as a kid I loved Gilligan's Island and I, I mean I mean I, I think the more famous one is the next one with the Harlem Globetrotters <laughs> <It's> just, um, <laughs> but but yeah the, the, that is true I mean I think a lot of that had to do with uh, the Castaways is from 79 so it's a little ahead of the curve uh, wow I just said Gilligan's Island was ahead of the curve uh, but uh, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the 80s where sort of like the idea of working yourself to death became kind of like a thing I, I agree with you that the whole idea of getting away to a resort became like definitely part of the culture. There was that movie Club Paradise with Robin Williams mm. in 1986, which is all not that that was some major hit, but there were a lot of movies about going away to some tropical island and getting away. I mean trading places that movie ends with after the characters win all the money. Where are they? They're, they're on a tropical island. So I think that that definitely was in sort of the zeitgeist going on. And of course as a setting for stories, that's a great it's a great way to, to you know because it's like uh it's like it's like fantasy island. You know, you have different people. So you could see this as again, as like a sitcom with Beatle and Booster as the host. And every week, oh, look, it's Charo. I mean, that kind of thing. I mean, it
0: it just sets itself up. I made a Charles reference just the other day. Keeping that Gilligan's Island theme here, there is an employee named Maynard uh, in here, which is great. He's he's dressed up like Green Lantern, but he says, my name's Maynard, which just cracks me up. They used the same comment in the previous issue. I won't explain the whole thing again, guys, but just know that's that's a very vague Gilligan's Island reference to call someone Maynard.
1: That's um, two by references in one issue
0: <laughs> now uh blue and the gold so you know we've always we've we've known that term forever but i was looking on our, our buddy who runs the boosterific.com website which is a great website dedicated to booster gold he actually pointed out that this issue was the first time that the pair actually referred to themselves as the blue and the gold i didn't realize that i thought the name had been around for a while now but apparently this is the first time they uh, adopted it so and, and like you said this does feel like a backdoor pilot for a blue and the gold series I I still can't believe they never launched. I mean, it, it, it just feels like it had to have.
1: Yeah, that's surprising. I, considering how many characters got their own titles, uh, and you, as you said, how popular JLI was, this seems like a natural spinoff.
0: Crazy. You mentioned in your recap, I love it, you, you did the counting cards, counting cards thing. Yeah, so that, that's another thing that you got to think, Big Sir, counting cards in this, you know, there's echoes of Rain Man in here, because this was written, you know, towards the end of 1989. Rain Man was nominated for Best Picture uh, in 1989, so they, that had to be sort of in the zeitgeist for them to sort of hone in on that. I got to imagine.
1: Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. Can I say just as a side point, I can't understand how in casinos it's, you can be thrown out if they catch you counting cards. Why you're not cheating? You're using your brain, like you're not. You know <laughs> I mean? Like just because you're smarter than everybody else and that helps you win, how does that allow you to be thrown out? That makes no sense. That's like saying, hey, you're better at me than scoring home runs. You're cheating. No, I'm not. I'm just, you know, I'm just better at it than you. So that, that never made any sense to me that counting cards is something you can be thrown out of. But I know that that's that's really not related to what we're talking about.
0: Well, you know, keep in mind the casino's main goal is not for you to win money. So I think they're making their own rules there.
1: I, well, obviously, yes, they could do whatever they want, but it did, it, even as a kid, I was like, but you're not cheating. You're not using a machine or something. You're just smarter. Like <laughs> that should count for something.
0: Uh, spoken like a man who wishes he could count cards. So um, so a couple of different things about schemes I want to bring up here. First of all, the major disaster in Big Sur, the whole scheme's hilarious. And I love how at the end they've literally got like a pallet full of money. And they lose it in the ocean, which just cracks me up. It's done very funny. But the other is, I just got to point out, the scheme, again, in this issue, they specifically say that it was Blue Beetle's idea to steal all the money out of the JLI coffers, not Booster Gold's. Poor Booster Gold. He has the worst reputation as... As being the troublemaker, all this stuff. It is Blue Beetle over and over and over again. So uh, I just got to say, poor Booster. He is a total screw-up. But uh, Blue Beetle is the one that definitely led him down the path. It's a lot like our relationship, Rob. I mean, you're the one constantly dragging me down a, a blind alley and ending us both up in trouble. So I, I feel bad for him. I identify with him.
1: Uh, that's tough, but fair. <laughs>
0: Uh, let's see. A couple other quick things. The Living Island. It did sort of make me think of the island of Krakoa from Giant Size X-Men number one. I did wonder if that was sort of in the thought process there. The Living Island that's causing them trouble. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a stretch, but that is the first Living Island that comes to my mind.
1: If we can have a living planet and ego, we can have a Living Island. Why not?
0: There we go. And then uh, Booster Gold actually did something useful, a very super heroic in this issue, which doesn't happen very often. He actually used his force field, which again is something that he very rarely uses in the comic. For most of the time, when Booster Gold's an issue, he can fly, and he's just a guy. He doesn't he, he doesn't shoot his force beams very often, he doesn't use his force field. So here he actually uses his force field to save people, which I thought was pretty good. Now, if he hadn't come up with this stupid scheme with Beetle, they wouldn't be in the situation, but anyway. But I think the thing we really gotta talk about is, is the art here. Because, you know, last issue was gorgeous uh david gallagher and i talked about quite a bit but i think this this is the comic book where adam hughes truly became adam hughes i don't know I, i don't know if you would agree with that but that it just seems like it to me
1: this is wonderfully drawn. He, he, I, I'm amazed he was able to put as much into this as he did. I know that he doesn't ink it, uh, but nevertheless, this is a beautifully drawn book in every respect. The action beats are great, the, all the cheesecake is great, the comedy bits are great. I love the way Aquaman looks in this, like I said, mm-hmm. uh, and then the, the comedy segments are fantastic. I mean, everything about the, he was just killing it
0: here. And the backgrounds are fully fleshed out, the, the facial expressions are amazing. I mean, he, he really is a worthy. successor uh, of Kevin McGuire I mean there's no doubt like page four and five there's a great a couple shots of Maxwell Lord just melting down when he finds out the money's gone he just absolutely melts down and you see it all right there in his face even if he didn't have a line you would know what's happening it's that good and there's another one on page 11 of Aquaman where Aquaman is just screaming he's so pissed (laughs) off and it's just it's a great shot of Aquaman I mean I love it
1: yeah it's wonderful I I love page 19 where the the, some of the buildings are falling and I love that you see Aquaman's hair blowing which is a great little touch, you know, I mean, because obviously we don't have sound effects, but we get the sense mm-hmm. of wind blowing. Is that his hair? You know, the storm is coming. The island is moving. And then I love on panel three, Booster is carrying, of course, Booster is grabbing a girl in a bikini, but I love, <laughs> I love that Aquaman is holding up that one pillar with one arm and he's even, the body language suggests he he's not even straining to do it, which yeah, it's I casual. love. Yeah, casual. Yeah, I love he's just kind of like, mm-hmm, yeah, he's just talking to Blue Beetle while he's lifting this very, very heavy stone post up. I just think that's a great, it just says... So much about how strong Aquaman is. It, again, Aquaman's not in this all that much, but man, he—I think Adam Hughes really makes it count.
0: Well, and some of it comes down to like the spatial placement of things too. Like that panel, you know, it's Blue Beetle and Aquaman talking, but boosters in the foreground, and like you said, it's it, that little picture of Aquaman so far in the background. And there's so much of that where uh, Adam Hughes is very conscious of where to place people in a picture, where to put other things in the picture, and it just—it amazes me. And I, I made the comment about the backgrounds earlier, just because there's so much going on in the backgrounds that I can't help but wonder about. There's a great one on page 7. It's this adorable page where uh, Big Sir and Major Disaster are buying air, uh, buying their ticket to go to Club JLI. And again, the same sort of situation. They're the main focus, but they're in the background. The foreground is this single color image of a police officer or security guard helping this little girl whose baby doll's head came off. <laughs> and if, unless you really look for it, you don't even really notice it. But again, it's all about the spatial placement and it makes it feel like a lived in world. It's so amazing.
1: I love that, that little those two characters are colored monochromatically, so they're like... like... Like in shadow in the foreground, it's a nice touch.
0: Yeah, it's really, really well done. Also, speaking of colors, I, I love how uh, all the women that work at the JLI ticket booth all have green hair, like fire. That's just a, that's a nice little, like you know, it's corporate corporate policy. You have to dye your hair green. I, you know, I don't think that would pass HR muster nowadays. But uh, there's a couple things I want to mention as far as like the staff. I, I mentioned already. There's a kid named Maynard. He's dressed in a Green Lantern costume. I love that the staff dress in JLI costumes. And the one that I was pretty impressed with, especially given Adam Hughes's you know notoriety for cheesecake art, he draws a, a cigarette girl and she she is wearing a Power Girl's costume. But she is, uh, again, you, you guys know Power Girl. You understand what she's famous for. You understand what Adam Hughes is famous for. Well, here, he draws a very modestly figured woman. She's, she's not filling out the costume like Fire does. She's not filling out the costume like Power Girl's. She's filling it out like, quite honestly, a more realistic portrayal of a woman. And I just like that touch that he took the time to do that. That he, He's trying to show that he, you know women come in every shape, not just the kind that he likes to put on the cover of comics.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about something that wouldn't pass muster on HR. The only the only way you would hire a someone to be Power Girl is if she has a giant chest. You really couldn't get away with that.
0: Yeah, it's uh, sort of like the Hooters hiring policy, right? Right, exactly. Jeez. Uh, now, I, I also got to mention, and I did not pick up on this until I was reading the letter column. The letter column has this sort of weird uh, credit to Mike W. Barr. It says, thanks to Mike W. Barr for allowing us to do some cameos of characters that he owns the copyright to. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, I, I, is that a joke? Is Mike W. Barr in the comic himself? But no, I did a little research. I kind of, I kind of, after rereading it again, I kind of got a, had a gut instinct of what it was. And sure enough, I looked it up and it turned out to be, on page 16, the, the middle panel, it has a a couple. Who are walking along and there's a guy, there's a, a blonde woman uh, and there's a guy with uh, black hair and glasses and he's saying Jen, what's a blah-ha-ha ha mean? She goes, I'm not sure. I think it's some kind of local dialect. Well, those just happened to be Jennifer Mays and Gabriel Webb from the Mays Agency which was an independent comic that Mike W. Barr wrote and Adam Hughes drew. Uh, additionally, there's a woman on the far right. She's in a, a very tight bathing suit reading a book that says What Sells Comics and she is Detective Roberta Bliss from the same comic. So that was kind of Adam Hughes giving a nod back to one of his uh, previous books which I thought was pretty cool
1: I remembered I recognized that even then uh, because I was I hadn't read Maze Agency, but I was familiar with the book and I knew Adam Hughes drew it. And the way that those characters draw attention to themselves, I was like, wait, those are the characters from Maze Agency. And I thought that was just a fun gag.
0: That's awesome. I, I've never read Maze Agency, so I, I, I'm very interested in reading it because I was reading about it today and I was talking about it's a, uh, a whodunit. They say that that doesn't play games with the reader, meaning like all the clues are there. So there's no uh, unexpected gotchas at the end. So I'm, I'm thinking about checking it out now.
1: Yeah, I've never, I've never read it, but, uh, I I like Mike W. Barr and like Adam Hughes, so.
0: Yeah. So one last comment on the art. Uh, there's, you mentioned the Island Girls. I do like the advertisement for Club JLI. You know, he does it all in, uh, it's not quite a surprint, Rob's beloved surprint, but it's, it's one or two colors. And, but the Island Girls wearing a, a cutoff t-shirt, you know, very sexy, the wind's blowing or whatever. But it's a Batman t-shirt. And you know why? Because this is 1989. That's why, folks. <laughs> if you didn't live through that era, you don't understand what I'm talking about. If you did, yeah, you remember. Batmania was a real thing. Overall, uh, I absolutely love this issue. I really feel like this is one of the classic issues of JLI. I mean, when you you talk about JLI, what people remember—they remember the first issue, they remember Moving Day, they remember the team becoming international, and they remember Club JLI. I mean, those are some of the big, big moments that people remember. And I think this issue really holds up. It's genuinely funny. It is stunning to look at. It is a complete win. I think there is absolutely nothing wrong putting this comic. in the hands of someone modern day and I think they're going to get a laugh and I think they're going to enjoy it.
1: Yeah, this is a great bunch of stories, and and it would continue on. They JLI uh, the the editors that put this book together. They were I don't want to say they got lucky because it, it's their job to do this, and they did it well. But to to go from Kevin McGuire to Adam Hughes, like that's an extraordinary back to back punch of finding two artists on the upswing of their careers that are were masterful illustrators.
0: Well, and Ty Templeton in the middle there too, another exceptional artist. I mean, the, the, this whole book had an amazing run of artists. They really, really did. Now to be. It was a top-selling book, so as you said, it's their job to find them. But wow, yeah, and, and you're right. And these guys were both so new in their career. You know that that's a good point. So, mm, great time to be a JLI fan, folks. This was wonderful. So, all right, Rob, this is the moment where you gotta you gotta prove your chops here, buddy. This is where we're gonna nominate the Wahaha Award. This is where we're going to nominate the funniest moment in the issue. Both myself and Rob will pick just one, and only one of them will walk away with a coveted Blah ha ha Award. Now, this issue is freaking hilarious, so I had a hard time picking just one moment. What'd you pick, Rob?
1: Uh, so, yeah, no, I did stick to the rules of this show, uh, and I just have one uh, one suggestion for the Blah Ha, ha Award, and uh, that is on page 19 of the book itself. And it's the moment where it's, it's where Hooster and Beetle are standing there, and they they're they're talking about their loss of their money and and booster says things cannot get any worse and beetles like don't ever say that and booster's like why not and then you, you see just the over the shoulder shot of aquaman's arm and he's like there you are i've been looking for you too all night and i love the way beetle does not even look up and he just raises his hand back and he goes that's why not and i love <laughs> i i love jokes that you have to even if it's just a tiny little amount have to put together yourself because i think it's a re- more rewarding joke and i love love that Adam Hughes, I guess if he, if he was the one that, that broke down the story, chose to do it in that way as opposed to seeing Aquaman in full shot, to just see his arm come into the frame like that, and you could see that his arms are folded, and you know that Bootle, Boodle, jeez, uh, Boodle, that Booster I just, I just, that's, that's the their uh, shipper's name Yeah, by the exactly, way. I just created a portmanteau. No, that Beetle and Booster are about to get a, a serious scolding. I just think it's, great. I just love the pacing of that. I think it's, and I love the way that Aquaman comes into this. So that's my, my favorite joke of the issue.
0: Well, Aquaman's presence is absolutely necessary to make the joke work. I think it's Beatles' body language, which actually makes it so funny. Because Beatles hunched over in the panel before. He's just leaning forward. You can't even see his head. You're just looking at his back, and his head is hunched. I mean, just the absolute, like, pose of, of defeat, of depression. And then the next one, as you said, he doesn't move. But he lifts his hand and points a finger, just like, there it is, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I, that absolutely sells it. I was going to pick this moment, but I didn't because I knew, all right, you know what? This is the, this is the funniest Aquaman moment in the issue. Of course Rob's going to pick it so i picked a different one and then we'll we'll discuss so mine was when uh, back in the new york embassy when max finds out that uh, the boodle, boodle i did it too uh, beetle and booster have embezzled all this money right and uh, he's he's furious he is absolutely furious and he's he's ranting and raving i can't believe this blah 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 and oberon says now max uh, maybe maybe they've got a good explanation and batman says oberon do you really believe that and Oberon says, nah, but I just figured I'd say something in their defense. I wouldn't want to be held as an accessory to murder, which <laughs> genuinely made me laugh out loud. I thought that was genuinely funny. So, um, I'm already going to surrender to you. Oh, my God. I don't, I don't ever want to have to repeat that sentence the rest of my life. Oh, this but is I, I, getting hot. <laughs> But I'm already, gonna, I think I'm going to have to give it up for that Aquaman moment because it is sort of the culmination of the whole story. It is. It, it, it all fits in with this whole chaos of the Club JLI and it's a great sort of building moment. So, unless you object, I will uh, give you the nod and let you win this one.
1: Ah, I totally deserve it.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, there we go. Congratulations to Beetle, Booster, and Aquaman for winning the Bwahaha Award. It is as tangible as the laughter we give you. Please wear it with Pride. All right, Rob, well, I need to ask a favor. You know how this works? I got to go over with the Sutherlands, as you know, over to the Paris embassy and cover the 10th issue of Justice League Europe. Would you mind hanging out here at Club JLI for a little while and holding down the fort and make sure the island doesn't just detach and float away?
1: Not at all. You've got a great Wi Fi connection. So uh, while you're uh, off with the Sutherlands, I can create a bunch of new Twitter feeds. <laughs>
0: Perfect. Perfect. Don't worry, Rob. We will bring you back at the end of the show. Now, folks, after this podcast promo break, I'm going to head over to the Paris Embassy for the 10th issue of Justice League Europe.
1: It's a small world after all. It's a small world. Great comics come in all shapes and sizes.
0: Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network.
1: It's Digest Cast, a new show dedicated to our beloved pocket-sized treasures from that bygone era of the 70s and 80s.
0: Hosted by the Fire and Water Podcast team of Robin Shag, and we'll be joined from time to time by special guests.
1: It's Digest Cast because big things come in small packages.
0: Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network.
2: In a world filled with movie-themed podcasts, thousands speak their minds, shouting their opinions into the void. Into this terrifying world of sound and noise, a new podcast about movies dares to raise its head. Appearing on the Longbox Crusade Network, in association with Jeff and present, it is the era of monthly Monday movie muckabout. Listen as people are challenged to see films that they have missed or failed to see. Hear their new appreciation for films from years past. Experience the discussions of film fans. Is the world ready for monthly Monday movie muckabout? Yes. Yes, it is. And cut.
1: Perfect, Jeff. Great. So when are we going to start this show? Um, just me. This is my new show. I thought we talked about this. Uh, then why am I doing your promo? Because in reality, I'm an egotistical puppet master that uses people for his own profit and fame. Huh. Eh, fair enough. Dun, dun 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 monthly Monday movie, muck about, watch a movie with me!
0: And now, our coverage of Justice League Europe, number 10. from break and I'm here with our other co-host for this episode. My guests, yes, I said guests as in plural, are a married podcasting duo known far and wide as the nicest folks you'll ever meet. Now for their podcast, they love to focus on specific creators and really celebrate their entire body of work. They then use that podcast to worm their way into the creator's lives and become their best friends. (laughs) Additionally, these folks are avid travelers, often visiting locales across the globe. Perfect for an international show. Get it? See? International? All <laughs> All right. So now think about this for a minute with me, folks. They're incredibly nice. They know how to infiltrate people's personal lives and frequent international travelers. Yeah, I know you've come to the same conclusion as the rest of us. That's right. They must secretly be international contract killers. It's the only thing that makes sense. It tracks, people. It tracks. <laughs> folks, please help me welcome to the show Darren and Ruth Sutherland. Welcome to the Paris Embassy, Sutherlands. Thanks for being here. How you doing?
3: Oh, so happy to be
2: here and doing well. Thanks. But you just spoiled our cover. What are we going to do now? <laughs> (laughs)
0: Well, if you're giving contract killers, I can only think one thing is going to happen to me. So, folks, uh, this may be the last episode of the show. Thanks for coming. Uh, (laughs) Well, folks, Darren and Ruth and I go way back. We met, oh, my gosh, at Dragon Con a zillion years ago. And uh, normally this time of year, I'd be hanging out with them eating ice cream right now. And I'm terribly Mm. bummed this stupid pandemic has ruined my ice cream plans. Forget all the people dying around us. I wanted ice cream. So uh, how are you guys holding up during all this?
3: Oh, doing well, thank you. We are staying at home and working from home and happy to be able to reach out with technology and talk to wonderful people like you from home.
2: It's, uh, yeah, we've been really lucky because we can both, we both have jobs where we occasionally work from home anyway, so we've been able to continue to work from home. We're just very lucky and, you know, she's my best friend, so... We haven't gotten tired of each other.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's adorable.
2: I think this is the first time we've ever had two guests at once. And this is just the cutest.
0: Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. So <laughs> really setting a precedent here, folks. Any guests that come after you this, I'm sorry. Guys, You're just the bar's too high is just what it boils down to. <laughs> So, Darren and Ruth, you guys have a long storied history with reading a whole wide diverse number of comics. I mean, you do some amazing podcasts on a lot of different topics that a lot of people may not even be aware of because they weren't necessarily in the quote-unquote mainstream, you know, Marvel DC stuff. So, Hmm. how did you guys, you know, stumble your way into this crazy hobby?
2: Well, thank you. That's a really interesting way to approach it. We do have some interesting comic origins, I think. For me, comics started, like most of us guys, as a kid, and it was the 1970s for me. I lived in a very small rural town. There was a single grocery store. That grocery store had a single spinner rack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably in Rob's house now. But
0: right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I would go to the grocery store every week with my mom, and I was able to get one comic. So that's how I would build my collection. And for me, it's like I never liked multi-part stories because I never got the second part of anything so, <laughs> uh, But it was always fun though I, I mean I gravitated toward DC comics. those were the ones that interested me. I liked Batman, I liked Superman, I liked Wonder Woman, Green Arrow, Aquaman Woo-hoo. so I would yeah I would always pick those up very appropriate for this network. And uh, also I would get thrilled you know on occasion when gold key comics would show up from time to time and I could grab Star Trek or Space Family Robinson so that was great. but that's just the way I got started with comics and then a little later my dad who also had grown up you know loving comics when I was 9 or 10 he started giving me hardcover collections of comics for my birthday and Christmas each year and it was back you know in the mid 70s uh, those of you probably remember the old Batman from the 30s to the 70s Mm. Superman from the yeah exactly Shazam from the 40s to the 70s so he would he would get me all of those and I still have them today and they're just wonderful books but even more important to me was that he also gave me collections editions of flash gordon buck rogers in the 25th century and tarzan and those immediately became my favorites because while i like superheroes i absolutely love science fiction and adventure and fantasy so those just became my favorite and that's the direction i went with comics from then on for the most part That's awesome. So what about you, Ruth?
3: Well, I have fond memories of my dad going to the grocery store, probably that very same spinner rack.
2: (laughs) We we grew up in the same town.
3: Kids comics. So he would bring home things like Woody Woodpecker, Uncle Scrooge, Casper, oh, Richie Rich. So I would get to read those with him. And those are some really nice memories for me.
2: And what's interesting to me, you know, know, Ruth and I started dating in high school, and we both had, you know, read comics as kids. And what was interesting, again, we're in that little small town, and there's no mall, there's no shopping center, there's, you know, no comic store, that's for sure. But we used to, while we were dating, we would, once a month, usually on a Saturday or a Sunday, we would make the hour and a half drive to Bristol, Virginia, the closest town of any size. (laughs) Exactly. We could go to the mall, we could eat at a fast food restaurant.
3: Go to a movie. We could go
2: to a movie, and we would go to Mountain Empire Comics, which was there in Bristol, Virginia. We became friends with Robert Pilk, the owner, and we're still friends with Robert today, and that store is still our local comic shop even though oh, wow. we live nowhere near there. <laughs> but that's a testament that they're still in business. Uh, yeah. He is still in business. He ships us our comics every month. We see him at Heroes Con every year because he always attends that. So that was just a wonderful thing that we got to do together. And we had no money then, so we spent all of our time. I'm sure he you know, didn't appreciate the little we spent, but we spent all of our time <laughs> in the
3: back of you <laughs> bin where everything
2: was a quarter or less. Professor right. Allen will be happy. But it was at that store in 1987 when we bought three three new comics off the new release shelves not in the same month but during that year we got trekker number one by ron randall we got xenozoic tales number one by mark schultz and green arrow the longbow hunters number one by mike grell they all came out in 1987 and they immediately became our favorites of all time and we've just been fans ever since
3: they were awesome i'm just amazed
2: that we had the good fortune to get those right off the shelf as they came out and then later we started listening to some podcast network about Firestorm and Aquaman and that made us, that you know we should do podcasts and we should do podcasts about those comics so that's what we did Wow, it's full circle here, folks. Now, I will tell you, the people at
0: home uh, were just waiting, expecting you to say something, and you didn't, which you've alienated the entire audience, so thank you for that, was you're talking about these wonderful comics that came out in 1987. And that year's important (laughs) for the listeners at home, because that's the year Justice League International started. So, way to go, you missed the mark. Did you not see the name of the show when you came in the door? Oh my gosh.
2: (laughs) Well, at least we're just honest, because
0: we didn't pick it up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so all right tell tell the folks at home uh you know what what is your history with the jli because when i asked you to be on the show you both were kind of like huh? so uh t- tell, tell them at home a little bit about that
2: well honestly for us we didn't read jli during this period of time but we discovered this series through your podcast so it's entirely thanks to you and your wonderful guest hosts Over the years that we've been listening to this and we've gotten to know this series and these characters and the humor because we didn't read it when we were dating and buying comics. Yeah,
3: (laughs) we get to enjoy it now. I would say we really like the humor and the action. I especially like the variety of characters on the team. And I love stories that are said in other countries. So JLE's locations are great to have. Like, you get to be in Paris. You know, that is so wonderful.
2: Yeah, so it's all thanks to you, Shag. We have to give you credit. So
0: for those of you at home, this is known as buttering up the host. So take notes. This is exactly the way to do it. Please, please. Uh, And bring ice cream while you do it. So uh, now I got to ask you, world travelers, I mean, every time I turn around, well, maybe not during COVID, but every time I turn around, you guys, you know, you're you're all over the world. So Paris, has that been one of your destinations? destinations?
3: Yes, we've been to Paris. We're just so fortunate. So, we love to travel and Darren's work opportunities have allowed me to tag along to some amazing places. So, we do make travel a priority when we can. So, yeah, look so. forward to doing more of it in the future
2: travel is the thing we enjoy doing we you know we don't buy each other birthday and christmas gifts we've set aside a little money in order to take a future trip and then sort of like you shag i have to travel occasionally on business so i get to earn air miles and like ruth said you know we can benefit from those air miles or sometimes when i have to take a trip to china ruth can just take a week off from work and say well, i'll go along and while you work i'll go out and have fun
3: yes i'm <sighs> really good at that <laughs>
2: I have traveled with these
0: two, not to world locations, but I've traveled to other locations, folks. It is well worth your time to uh, try and uh, piggyback our trip with the ones. I'm just telling you.
2: Oh,
3: that's Aww. sweet. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Well, since uh, you guys are my now official Parisian experts, uh, maybe you can be some fact checkers for as we go through this issue on if this feels like legitimate
2: France. It does. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because you see the Eiffel Tower. Exactly right.
3: The building and the architecture, they're really on target. I like it. <laughs>
2: yeah sure (laughs) I think that's a stretch
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's one of the things I love about this book is from any vantage point in Paris apparently you can see the Eiffel Tower so I love that about this book so I feel like that's completely authentic
2: (laughs) it's just like in Japan you can always see Mount Fuji
0: there you go exactly Alright, well let's get into this, folks. This is Justice League Europe number 10 from DC Comics, cover dated January 1990, but it was on the shelves December 5th, 1989, our last book of the decade, I believe. Cover price is $1, four shiny quarters, and cover by Bart Sears. You want to describe the cover for us, folks?
3: Oh, sure. Sure. This features Captain Atom, Power Girl, and Rocket Red, and each of them have confused looks on their faces as money seems to rain down from the sky onto them, and we have the words Easy Money written across
2: the bottom of the page.
0: So what do you love about this cover?
2: The, uh, <laughs> the Or <manifold>. not. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Ruth was going to lean in, and then she leaned away. <laughs> <laughs> Give you a chance. The thing that strikes my interest is just the money falling from the sky and the looks on their faces. I mean, that's, you know, this is a humor book, and that's the humor coming through, because they all look bewildered and surprised, and there's a couple of really odd-looking expressions on their faces. Like, where'd
3: this come from? And can we have it?
0: (laughs) I like Dimitri's even got the thumb to his chin, like, "Hmm, in Russia, it not rain money.
3: (laughs) Must be a, a capitalist way.
0: Exactly. Uh, there's a couple of things that jump out at me real quickly. First of all, I, and, and I, I hate to point out a nitpick, but I mean, this is a nerd podcast where we sit here and talk about 30-year-old comics. It's what we're really here to do. But um, there are a couple uh, er- errors on the cover. First off, they do credit J.M. Demetrius on the cover. They say Giffen and Demetrius is the story, but that's not actually true. Demetrius left the uh, book a couple issues ago, so now it's Messner Loeb's. I think they just covered over the old copy. And then there is actually, and I just noticed this today, there's some coloring errors on the cover, which I would have never picked up on, except Ooh. I'm Reading uh, on my tablet, I'm, I have the physical copy in my hand, and I'm reading the collected edition uh-huh. that they they printed uh, on Comicsology, where it's like volume six. And they actually it turns out Rocket Red is not nearly that red. Most of him is actually silver, so they've corrected that on the digital version. And uh, like little tiny nitpicky things, like I guess Power Girl on the cover was given red briefs, and they've fixed that. So it's just kind of surprising to see that the coloring mistakes got missed, and then someone 30 years later, when they did this collection, bothered to go back and fix it. Uh, this is kind of a reoccurring thing we've noticed on the. Show where the original comic might have an error or two. If you read it on DC Universe, those same errors are there, but the collected
2: editions, they actually took the time to lovingly uh, fix and correct those issues.
3: That's really interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad re- you pointed that out.
2: I am too, because we only read it on the digital edition, so we wouldn't have caught any of that. So thank you. And, and by interesting,
0: they mean that's really boring, Shag, and
3: you're
2: no, taking no, up no, a lot no, of time. Because
0: no. it is. <laughs> it's it's super uber nerdy, but that's what I do.
2: We, we want the, to know. We're super <laughs> uber nerds too. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now on the positive side, I gotta say Bart Sears, man, nobody does shiny like Bart Sears, man. Oh my gosh. You know, especially Captain Adam and Rocket Red on this on the cover, their uniforms look so great. And whenever he does covers he puts a, some extra special attention and all the little you know, the ways it bends the light and they just look so, so darn shiny. It looks awesome. And then one other thing I noticed is uh, on the money raining down. Now, keep in mind, they're in Paris, so these are Franks. So they're brown, as they are colored. Inside the comic, though, they made them green, yes. which I don't know if that's just to appeal to, you know, an American audience who's reading the comic. I don't know. But, um, hmm. they, again, uber nerdy things that. I notice.
2: Uh, I noticed that when we were reading the digital edition, and I wondered, you know, is it just because they know this is really going to be read by Americans, so money has to be green? I Absolutely. I was a little disappointed with that. <laughs>
0: I assume that's absolutely got to be it. And, and actually, being a stupid American, I was like, why is it brown on the cover? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how dumb I am. So, well, Let's get inside the issue. Uh, the plot and probably the breakdowns are by Keith Giffen. Script is by Bill Mesterloves. Penciler is Bart Sears. Inker is Pablo Marcos. Letter is Bob LePan. Colorist is Gene D'Angelo. Assistant editor is Kevin Dooley. And editor is Andy Helfer. The issue itself is called After the Fox. So why don't you guys start us off?
2: All right. Our story begins on a warm night in Paris, where Bruce Wayne is attending a charity gala to benefit war orphans. He's partnered with Vivian Diarmus, who runs the Paris perfume company Revson, and the two of them are standing on stage in front of a giant glass globe, where they're collecting the money being donated by the attendees of the event. After answering some questions from the press, Bruce and Vivian continue to chat. and he asks about her accent and learns she is originally from Algeria. Just then, there's a small explosion from behind the giant globe full of money, which knocks it from its pedestal, sending the globe rolling across the marble floor as people rush to get out of the way before being crushed. Bruce Wayne is frustrated that he's unable to slip away from the crowd as the giant globe continues down a long hallway, and he notices at the same time that he's lost sight of Vivian. But just then, the giant globe full of money crashes through a large window, where it is grabbed in midair by a metal claw suspended from a helicopter. However, a hooded figure leaps from the roof of the building, grabbing hold of the giant globe, just as the helicopter begins to climb into the sky, and we see that it's Crimson Fox. The two men panic when they see her begin to climb up the cable toward the helicopter— The pilot's flying becomes erratic, and his partner repeatedly and unsuccessfully attempts to shoot at our hero. Meanwhile, at the Justice League Embassy, Captain Adam is engaged in a training exercise with Power Girl to assess her abilities following the recent accident. Ralph and Dimitri are observing the exercise and commenting that while Power Girl appropriately seems to still be powerful, her strength and vulnerability and speed have all been significantly reduced, and her ability to fly is completely gone. However, the exercise is then interrupted by Sue, who has received a message from Batman about the robbery at the charity event.
0: Alright, I'll take it from here. So, inside the embassy, a large boom directs the League's attention outside where they are showered by money. They spot the helicopter overhead with a woman dangling from a rope beneath. Now, the thieves, whose names are Alphonse and Gaston, have mistakenly shot the money globe with a mortar, shattering the globe and spreading the cash across Paris. Crimson Fox leaps into the cockpit and brings the helicopter down. And by down, I mean she brings it crashing right into the Justice League Europe embassy, specifically into Captain Adam's bedroom. <laughs> Back inside, the thieves have exited the crashed helicopter and are racing through the embassy trying to escape. The thieves find themselves trapped between the League and Crimson Fox. More afraid of Crimson Fox, they surrender. (laughs) Batman talks with police inspector Camus, and then later, Captain Adam interrogates Crimson Fox, threatening to blame her for being involved in the heist. Batman explains to Captain Adam that Crimson Fox is innocent and that a French member of the League may be beneficial to the team. Begrudgingly, Captain Adam apologizes and offers Crimson Fox a spot on the team. Now, we don't see it happen, but apparently she very violently declines the offer. (laughs) A few days later, a new bed is delivered for Captain Adam, courtesy of the Crimson Fox, with a note attached saying, On second thought, I accept your apology. Consider this my peace offering. I will stop by and see if it is an always satisfactory. (laughs) The next issue boxes talk about Metamorpho's Child, a guest star of Guy Gardner, and the ramifications of the events from the monthly Animal Man series. And um, there's a little interesting blurb there that says, And who's waiting in the wing? it's a team-up that was first seen in Brave and the Bold number 66. Now I had to go back and look that up, and sure enough that was a team-up between Metamorpho and the Metal Men who, uh, spoiler, will make a surprise appearance at the end of next issue So, what'd you guys think of this issue?
3: Oh, this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that elaborate plot that caused the globe of money to be set rolling by the explosion. And then it goes outside, (laughs) and there's the helicopter that grabs it just right, and then she leaps on top of it. Like, so much fun and funny at the same time.
2: Yeah, that's a perfect plot for a series like this, and it's executed very well. I agree. I love that. And I also just loved the humor with Captain Adam, his distress about his room being destroyed. (laughs) uh, I mean, that was just so fun and his complete humiliation uh, when he has to admit later that he's wrong and apologize.
3: And there were several art panels that stood out for me. And I would say anyone who listens to our podcast knows that I absolutely love silhouettes. Mm. So then on page five, there's this gorgeous silhouette of crimson fox with the moon behind her as she prepares to leap on that giant globe full of money. So that is definitely my favorite panel in the book. Oh, and the helicopter there, the perspective of it flying away just above is really good
2: and I would agree I love those pieces of art as well I also love the detail of the building on page one it just looks you know fabulous Uh, and then there's a really a couple of nice dynamic pages or panels within the pages in the book on page six I love that scene of Crimson Fox on the globe as she's just getting ready to start climbing up the uh, the cable uh, she looks very intimidating. And then just, I love the dynamic view of Captain Adam and elongated man's you know neck stretched all around as they're reacting to the helicopter crash on page 14. It, it's just fun. The story's fun and the art's fun.
3: Lots of good scenes and I love getting to see Crimson Fox introduced.
2: Yes. You said some uh, about Captain Adam being sort of put out
0: with whether it be with the globe and all the money falling or later on when he has to apologize. I mean, that does seem to be a recurring theme in this book and it's absolutely hilarious and I love that because in a team book, you don't have a lot of time for character development and Captain Adams has got his own book as well. So to have sort of a reoccurring bit where Captain Adam's always put on the back foot, which is just great. I absolutely adore that.
2: I'm glad you mentioned that, Shag, because that's the thing with me. I never was a huge fan of team books because I didn't ever feel I got to spend enough time with the characters I was most interested in. But you're right, you know, just being able to mention that, how nice it is to get a little bit of time here with a character, even though they might have their own solo book because it really makes this story, you know, it really pulls it together, both as far as the story is concerned and as far as the humor is concerned. So it's worth the effort.
0: And I I think when you get an issue like this, they purposely leave out some characters. Uh, Like, you know, we didn't see The Flash. Mm -hmm. We didn't see Metamorpho. We saw only Animal Man in, like, one panel. So, I mean, there's members of the team, and even Elongated Man's part was kind of minor. So Mm -hmm. we don't really see a lot of the members of the team. They give you a chance to really focus in on Power Girl and Captain Atom and uh, a little bit of Dimitri and, and obviously the major Crimson Fox beats and things like that. And even Batman gets moments in this issue and he's not even on the team
2: but uh but he's batman
0: (laughs) right exactly it was kind of nice seeing batman there i liked seeing him uh, interacting with inspector camu who's been a a reoccurring because they're both sort of like these unpleasant characters so seeing them together actually sort of joking and laughing was it was kind of fun i like that
2: and it's nice seeing uh, bruce wayne there with vivian too because it it really you know puts her on a certain level by seeing her interacting with bruce wayne so that's a good way to pull that story in
0: Exactly, yes. Now,
2: uh,
0: about that. So, Vivian, at this point, we're not told that she's Crimson Fox. Um, However, you know, obviously we have the benefit of hindsight. And I think it's probably pretty obvious to the readers at this point as they're reading it. They probably are able to put two and two together. But uh, the the gala specifically I want to talk about for a second, I did notice on page two, since we're talking about art, uh, in in the Serpent, he's in the foreground, but in the Serpent, I'm pretty sure that's Tony Stark. he's,
2: he's
0: He's completely ignoring what's going on on stage. He's got a drink and he's hitting on a woman and it looks like Tony Stark. So I'm going with Tony's there.
2: I'm glad you pointed that out. You know, that character caught my attention, but I didn't didn't catch that. So, you know, better than me. That must be what it is.
0: Then uh, over on page four, there's a great image where, where Bruce Wayne's been kind of caught off guard. He's he's ready to jump into action, but he can't because there's these guards that are protecting him. They're like, Don't worry, you got nothing to worry about. So he wants to jump into action, but he can't. So Bart Sears has given us this great split image of mm-hmm. half Batman, half Bruce Wayne, and it looks fantastic. I mean it's oh, really it's actually really really strong.
2: strong. Well done. I love that image.
0: But it's sort of a nice throwback because they do that all the time with Peter Parker and Spider-Man, and what I notice in this image is he's even got Spidey Synth lines. So uh <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) That made me happy. Made me feel like a nice homage there. Let's see, I, I've got some art notes. Since we, since you first done the art, let's, let's let's run through those. So when Captain Adam and Power Girl are training, those energy blasts that he shoots at Power Girl, oh my gosh, I just feel bad for her. They look so powerful. And and, and I read this digitally at first uh, on panel-by-panel panel mode, so it takes up the whole screen of this, mm-hmm. this blast and frying her. I'm like,
3: oh my gosh, this poor woman. Yeah, I was having to go through a lot.
2: And, and I'm right? just like you, Shag. I love panel-by-panel panel m- mode on Comixology. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, so good. So uh, let's see what else. All right. So this just makes me laugh. On page 11, you get Catherine Colbert, who uh, I'm sorry, Ruth, I just have to say it. I have a huge crush on Catherine Colbert. She's smoking hot. She's amazing. She's brilliant. She's smart. She's the whole package. And uh, so <laughs> here she is in her. I, I, again, I apologize. It's right there no in the worries. name though, folks. It's irredeemable shags. So, you know. <laughs> um, but they have her here in workout clothes, plus a headband
3: and high heels, and high heels.
0: which <laughs> I find absolutely hilarious. Cause you know, the 1990s, I guess, I
2: don't know.
3: That's it. Exactly. That's, the look.
0: I, I guess so. I, I don't remember a lot of people in
2: Jazzercise wearing high heels, but whatever. But it's it's the same thing today with, you know, Jurassic World, and, you know, she's running around in her high heels racing from dinosaurs, so. Yeah. It hasn't changed.
0: You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. As far as Captain Adam and, and him just being sort of put out, I love when, when he sees the helicopter racing for his room, and he, he has that moment where he's like, it's heading for my room! And it's like this giant word <laughs> balloon, and the letters are so small. It's just perfectly conveyed the way he's saying that and I, I adore that. I you know, huge props to the, the letter on this for, for making that work. Let's see. Oh, gosh. What else? Uh, there's some great images with Batman in here, but then again, you know, it's Bart Sears drawing Batman. I would expect those to be, including some nice panel layouts, like on uh, page 20. There's a great one where it's it's a close-up on Batman's face, and in the foreground is actually a smaller, full image. It's, you know what, folks? I'll put it on the gallery so you can see it. It's hard to describe, but it's just a really nice use of the space by Bart Sears. Now, I, I want to bring up one item here that I think you guys might have some insight on. Uh, now, part, Bart Sears, when he draws Crimson Fox, you know, she's totally in a feral mode, and so the way Bart Bart Sears draws her, I mean, she is 100% pure muscle. I mean, she is super lean, more so than even the uh, other
2: characters that Bart Sears draws.
0: Now, I'm going to ask you guys, is that something that continues with other artists perhaps you know a little bit about?
2: Well, it's interesting that you uh, segued directly into that, how subtle. But <laughs> it's it's actually for those, those listeners out there who might not know, when we were originally chatting with Shag about possibly being on this show and getting to cover we wanted to cover this issue because we wanted to talk about the introduction of Crimson Fox. And the reason for that is because of our association with Ron Randall, who's going to be drawing Crimson Fox and this team in the near future. And uh, so we just reached out to Ron and we asked him, you know, what are your memories about Crimson Fox? And he sent us a couple of really nice insights right back that I wanted to share. So he, he mentioned himself how important it is in a team book to be able to You know, focus and have every character have a certain way to sit or stand or move that's distinctive to them and sort of conveys part of their character because you've got so many characters in a book, you've got to be able to convey that the best you can in the art. So that was important to him. And for Crimson Fox in particular, he still remembered. He said, the words that were always in my mind every time I drew Crimson Fox were sassy, saucy, and sexy. (laughs) That's right, definitely. I knew that you would appreciate that and remember that. So So he said he always had those words in his mind when he was drawing the character. And uh, I thought that was really important. And the other thing he mentioned to us was, you know, being designed by Bart Sears, he mentioned the cow that looks like a, you know, a fox's ears and reaching back over even like a tail swooping. And he mentioned how, you know, what a challenge that was to draw, and it was very tricky. But that, you know, he felt it was important to always try to get it right the best he could, and he felt he got it right some of the times, but he said that he felt the character was so well-defined and so clear and well-established that, you know, it always turned out pretty well. So I thought those were some nice insights into Crimson Fox, and it's a lovely character, and he draws it very well.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that, giving us some like inside baseball tips on uh, how this you know played out from a creator's perspective. That's really cool and interesting. Christopher Fox is a character who kind of gets forgotten about, and this happens a lot with characters that are introduced in, say, a team book that Mm -hmm. didn't start somewhere else. Especially like a Justice League level one, they they do tend to introduce characters who years later just get forgotten. Uh, Looking at you, Triathlon from uh, Avengers, but. (laughs) And for me, I'll be honest, straight up, going into this issue, I don't think I had read this in 30 years, probably Mm -hmm. since it first came out, Mm -hmm. and Crimson Fox was never on my list of favorite characters. But now, when I'm getting this chance to reexamine it, I'm really finding a lot to like about this character. Especially sort of the way they slowly, uh, you know, pieced out the information. Like, right now, all we know is that uh, at least her secret identity, which, again, the reader could probably figure out. It's from Algeria. And her powers are she's got claws, she's very feral, she's got, like, an enhanced sense of smell, enhanced leaping, and we don't know much else. We don't know anything about, well, I won't say anything, about the stuff to come. And we'll we'll find that as it rolls out.
2: We didn't want to spoil it either because it's fun stuff to come.
3: Very intriguing.
0: So she stays as a staple with Justice Year for a long time. She doesn't really get many other opportunities to shine, and I don't know whether that's because they sort of relegate her to France, or just no one saw the potential, which is a shame. However, she is one of the characters that you can say has made it to live action, because she was in the Powerless show. Uh, Now, they changed the costume pretty significantly, and yes, that show was not a hit, but she was there as sort of a supporting character. She was known as the hero of their city, and so there was lots of references to her, even when she wasn't on screen. So she's had a life that's
2: gone beyond. It's interesting. I know most fans didn't, but we liked that show. I
0: didn't take to it at first. And then my daughter and I were looking for a show to watch together. And somehow we, I don't know, we stumbled across that one. And I was like, well, we'll give it a try. And man, we fell in love with that show. It is so stinking funny. Yes. It is so good. It is hilarious. The characters are developed. Its heart is in the right place. Yes. Uh, you know, and it's its a wonderful show. And it really, all of us fans, we, we are bad, bad people. We really should have given the show
2: another chance because it
0: was written for us. It really was. It was good.
2: It was all inside. Side jokes, yeah.
0: Yes! So a couple of uh, things in the story. So on page 15, Crimson Hot Fox has a word balloon and uh, that says HISS, like H-S-S-S-S. So I guess that answers that question. So now we know what the fox says. Um, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't not do that. Then uh, I, there was one small thing, and I don't know whether this was accidental or whether it was just expertly crafted. We're going to go with expertly crafted. Crimson Fox it, uh, says on page 16, she's leaving. She says, she, you know, it's a good time for me to exit or whatever she says. But she says it in French. And Ralph is the one who responds. Lonzora says, hey, you're not going anywhere. And I don't know, again, whether the writer was using her body language of leaving the panel or the fact that Ralph's one of the few members on the team who actually speaks French. That's so right. I, I, I hope that's right. And uh, as far as the, why they put it that way, but I thought that was a really nice uh, sort of continuity with that.
2: I think it is. I think he and Sue are both supposed to know French.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, in fact, they had a French lesson episode a, a couple issues back, which, were, <laughs> which is one of the best of the series. And Ralph doesn't go because he already knows it. So... <laughs> And then earlier, you guys were talking about how much fun this whole plot of a a giant money globe that gets stolen by a helicopter. It is. It's super fun. And the idea of a helicopter stealing a giant thing full of money, it it was bouncing around in my head. And I'm like, gosh, this seems familiar. And I finally sort of circled around to what it was for me. It reminds me of Blue Devil number 8, which came out in January 1985. It's a great story where there's this bank building that's being uh, flown. It's physically being moved. The whole bank building is being moved by a helicopter to a new location. And the trickster, because he's the trickster, decides to try and pull off a mid-air bank robbery. The thing is hilarious. It's great. And there's a lot of similarities here. Then it it, it clicked. The connection between Blue Devil number 8 and Justice of Europe number 10 is Keith Giffen you know obviously he plotted this issue but he drew Blue Devil number eight so we've seen Keith recycle plots before he did it just a few issues ago in Justice League America when he brought back the whole vampire story hmm. so I wonder if this was sort of a you know I, I need a plot this month oh that one looks good and kind of went back to it good shortcut Yeah, could be. Right, exactly. I mean, he's often been quoted nowadays, you know, when they ask him where his ideas came from. He says, I was just trying to get the issues out. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a job. We're just trying to crank these things out. They just came wherever they came from. This piece here, this was an itch that was going in the back of my head. The the, the two goons are named Alphonse and Gaston. Uh And I was like, there's something about those names. They're too specific. So I did some Googling. Sure enough, there is a old American comic strip called Alphonse and Gaston Uh that was published from, like, it looks like 1901 to Possibly as late as 1937, and it featured a bumbling pair of Frenchmen with a, a penchant for being polite. So, I, you know, J- uh, well, I was going to say Jam Dimitrias. Wow. Okay. Well, he never misses a trick with pop culture, and I guess uh, Bill messner Loeb has
2: sort of picked that up and run with it.
3: Wow. I like that.
2: Apparently, since their comic strip was canceled, they needed another way to earn money.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I like that. And, and, uh, and
0: speaking of those goons, there is one thing that left my head scratching, which was uh, in the issue, the, after they're stealing the money globe and when they're talking about the plot of stealing the globe they say i tell you the man is a genius so i'm sitting here wondering who are they talking about Mm -hmm. and who helped them arrange this heist now i haven't read ahead so maybe that's going to get revealed as we move along but i don't know
3: Hmm.
2: we'll have to stay tuned because that stuck out to me too and it didn't come back in this issue so i'll be listening
0: So one more comment on Crimson Fox. You know, you can notice in the story that she, she writes that note. She sends the bed. So there's a little bit of, you know, sort of sexual innuendo, in which is always fun. And she accepts Captain Adam's apology, but she still declined Justice League membership. As I was reading some different sites that did recaps, they all say she, she accepted the invitation to join the team. She did not. She accepted his apology not to join the team. So she's one of the few heroes, at least at this point, you know, in 1990. It's a small club of people that turned down Justice League membership. You know, Black Lightning, Metamorpho kind of come to mind at this point. So, uh, no, we have the, you know, we have the foresight of knowing she will join the team down the line, but it's kind of nice that she, uh, she told him no. Mm-hmm. Then uh, the only other major thing, I think, of note in this issue, uh, as those of us sort of following the series along, this is uh, the turning point where we get to see what Power Girl's new powers are. You, you mentioned in the recap, you know, her flight is gone, her vision powers are gone, her speed is nearly cut in half, mm-hmm. her strength is reduced, her invulnerability is limited. So, I mean, we're really dealing with more about the level of the Golden Age Superman. You know, uh, able to leave tall buildings in a single bound, uh, faster than a locomotive, that kind of thing. Right. But very much sort of the Golden Age level of Power Girl. I kind of like that. I think if they got to take out the Kryptonian aspects, I love having someone who's sort of a, a, a nod to the Golden Age version of Superman, especially since, you know, she's originally from Earth 2.
3: Huh. Yeah, I like that.
2: I like it too. I mean, that's it's a little bit more of a believable way for a superhero to, you know, battle because you don't want them to be too invulnerable. So it was a reset. Yeah.
0: Exactly, and um, overall, I enjoyed the issue. I thought it was funny. Uh, last issue was Bill Mercer Love's first issue, which wasn't blah ha ha funny. This one, there are some genuine blah ha ha funny moments. I, and in fact, I, I forgot this wasn't a Jam Mateus script at one point because I wasn't you know it just felt like one of their previous issues. Good point. Awesome. Well, great issue, and uh, I'm glad you guys read it. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I was a little nervous, you know, I was afraid you're going to be like, I don't know what this crap is. Oh <laughs> no, this was a lot of fun. <laughs> we listened to your show often enough. We knew what we were getting ourselves into. <laughs> <laughs> You're too kind and obviously hate yourselves. That's why you listen. (laughs) Well, folks, uh, we're going to go from here into a little segment I like to call... Character Spotlight. This is where the guests will be asked to share some thoughts on one of the characters from the issue. It's not necessarily an origin recap, but more about where these characters were in the DC Universe just before joining the JLI, and what kind of impact the JLI may have had on their lives or career. Now, I was thinking, you know, Ruth and Darren, wonderful married couple, who's one of the married members on the team? Well, Ralph, Elongated Man, would be a perfect character for you guys to cover. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about Ralph Dibney?
2: It was a perfect choice, Shag, and honestly, we have always liked Elongated Man. I'll be honest, we've never really sought out everything he's in to try to read his story comprehensively. But anytime we read anything that he's in, we've always liked him. And I think one of the reasons is because we absolutely love mysteries. It's our favorite genre of any kind. And Ralph loves a mystery, too. So it just is another connection that we have to that character. We like that connection to him. And we also like it when, you know, part of his catchphrase, you know, I smell a mystery and twitching his nose. So that's certainly something we like about it.
3: Yeah, I think he's a fun character. And and enjoy his abilities and just like you were starting off one important thing about him is he is happily married to sue and i think that is so cool sue is in on things she gets to be involved with adventures and part of the story so i really like that that resonates with me and i again love how they're charter members of the daily in paris i thought that was a perfect job location for them since they speak french
2: That's right. You know, we like that aspect of the character, and we're very happily married, and we like that part of their characters, which means that, of course, looking at these characters, we really don't like some of the stuff that comes for them later on. There's some very unhappy stuff with Sue that eventually leads to her death. There's Ralph, who goes into depression before he himself passes on as well. So we really do not like that era of the storytelling at all. A very disappointing way for the characters to sort of end up. However, at the same time, we do sort of like it when they come back a little later as ghost detectives because, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, we're able to look at that and say, oh, you know, well, if the characters are dead, this is a fun way to bring them back. And we get to see them sort of together in eternity and they're still getting to solve mysteries, which they love. So. I always They're happy. Yeah, and I always thought that there was so much potential there. I wanted a whole series of that, but you know, sadly those appearances are pretty limited. The character has come back in the new 52 briefly, but as far as I know, I don't believe the character has come back since rebirth.
0: So I think either your microphone went out or my headphones went out, because I didn't hear anything after happily married in Paris, because the rest of that just didn't happen as far as I'm concerned.
2: Okay. Uh, Very good. I (laughs) like that, Shag.
0: That's the way to go. They will forever be happily married and doing just fine. That's how it should be. (laughs) Applause, (laughs) applause. Well, awesome. Thank you for that insight into Ralph. He's such a fun character. And uh, again, I can't think of two people better to celebrate him. Oh, thanks. All right. Now, here is the hard part, folks. This is where we... We are going to have to decide who's walking away with. Wahaha Award. So, this is where we're going to nominate the funniest moment in the issue. Both myself and the Sutherlands are going to pick one moment, and only one will be awarded the coveted Bwahaha Award. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, I don't think I've read this comic in 30 years. Again, it didn't stick out in my mind as a funny issue, but there's some funny stuff in here. So, this may be a little bit challenging. So, Sutherlands, what do you got for your Bwahaha pick?
2: Well, you're right, Shag. There are some really good funny moments in this. You know, maybe not laugh out loud every page, but there's a lot of funny stuff. But for us, we're both fans of the Honeymooters. So, we love that classic comedy and there are a couple of jokes related to the honeymooners in this issue and we couldn't help but have to choose that. There's the, of course, the traditional bang zoom to the moon moment so everybody knows that. But what I really liked was the line, hey Ralphie boy and I could hear Art Carney's voice in my head saying that. So I just thought it was really appropriate and we agreed that that would be our choice.
0: And that was delivered by Power Girl too, right? (laughs)
2: Exactly. (laughs) It was hard to tell because it was shadowed.
0: (laughs) Well, you can tell because oh, the the cape is there, That's and uh, right. Bart Sears <laughs> is never going to miss a chance to try and outdo Todd McFarlane's cape style. So <laughs> now, for me, I had a, I had a hard time. I had two. I'll give you my second place, just because it's worth it doing it. I, I, there's this great bit at the end where the the mattress is being delivered to to the embassy, and the, this just regular guy who's delivering it. He's unloading the mattress, and you know all the heroes are standing around there watching him, and, and it's with a French accent. I'm not going to do that, but he goes right. Superheroes with enough raw power to move the planet stand around whilst poor old jocks lifts the mattress which I didn't even think about until he said it he's absolutely right here's this poor schmuck moving this and you know Captain Adam's right freaking there he can move a mountain so poor guy but I, I had to go with my first place pick which was uh, I couldn't resist Power Girl uh, I mentioned earlier those the powerful blast Captain Adam was doing she has been <laughs> physically embedded into the ceiling by Captain Adam's blast and she says of course you know this means war which is a, a great nod to Warner Brothers cartoons and I just absolutely adored that so um, this would be the point normally where we have to duke it out and argue over who's going to win. But I'm going to am going to call a peace treaty here because uh, first of all, you're really nice. I can't argue with you uh-huh. people. Um, and second of all, both happen in the same scene, really, with the same characters. They're both Captain Adam and Power Girl during you know their, either their battle or right there at the end. So I say we just give it to both Captain Adam and Power Girl. What do you guys think?
3: Yeah, Yay. there we go. <laughs> I like it.
0: There we go. Perfect. Excellent. Well, congratulations to Power Girl and Captain Adam. You have won the coveted Boahaha Award. It is as tangible as the laughter we give you, so please wear it with pride. (laughs) Now, Darren Ruth, I've got a a favor to ask. So with the helicopter kind of smashing into the embassy, there's like a ton of cleanup work to be done around here, and I really can't trust Ralph or Demetri to do this right. Would you guys (laughs) mind hanging around here and cleaning up while I go on and do the next segment?
3: Oh, absolutely. I'll be happy to help spend some time in Paris overseeing the cleanup job.
2: I'm sure she'll be overseeing the cleanup job while she's hanging around Paris. I think that'll be my job.
0: I was going to say, I noticed she said overseeing. So very managerial of you. Very smart. Exactly. Uh, Hey, uh, Darren, go grab the mop, all right? Exactly. (laughs) Now, don't worry, Darren and Ruth. We will bring you back at the end of the show. And while they're taking care of that for us, folks, I'm going to read your listener feedback in a segment called... JUSTICE LOG All right, before we get to your feedback, just a little bit of news. There is a new JLI collection that's been solicited. It's called Justice League International, book two around the world. Now this is stuff that's been reprinted before, but man, this is a great collection. It's got JLI number 18 through 25, which then becomes Justice League America, 26 through 30, Justice League Europe one through six, and annual number one. So this is fantastic. It's 576 pages, uh, but it's soft cover, and it only costs $29.99, 30 bucks for all of those comics. That is an absolutely great collection, and you know who's involved. Giffen, Demetrius, McGuire, Templeton, McCone, Sears, Willingham, uh, just a great amazing group of people. So, check that out. It is being solicited for release on January 26th, 2021. Also wanted to mention, I appeared on a podcast recently talking about a Justice League International-related item. So, the podcast is called For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast. It follows the Super Friends comic book from the late 70s, and the podcast is hosted by a guy named Rob Kelly. I'm not really sure who that is. But anyway, so in that particular episode, uh, episode number nine, specifically, we talked about Super Friends number nine. And in that comic was the first appearance of a character called Ice Maiden, who of course goes on to become Ice. Or does she? Oh, it actually makes the brain hurt trying to figure out Ice's continuity of who she was, who she became in a retcon, and who she was later, et etc. et cetera. So anyway, uh, if you want to hear us talk about Ice and that history, check out Super Friends uh, number nine in For All Mankind. Now, as we get into your feedback, go out on the social medias, folks. Use our hashtag, #FWPodcast or tag us at Podcast. As I always say, this is about building a community of online JLI fans around the show. And remember, when you're posting your comments, if you're outside the United States, please let me know, and we will assign you the appropriate embassy. You'll hear we have a whole bunch of international feedback this episode. So as I get into your feedback, I'm going to be specifically focusing on the comments and uh, website, email, all that kind of stuff, covering the most recent episode uh, where we talked about JLA number 33 with my guest David Gallagher. And Justice League Europe number nine with my guest Nicholas Prom. So, uh, first is some feedback from Hoover Jeremiah, and he says, I have to correct a horrible omission left out of your synopsis of JLA number 33. Guy Gardner left the Green Lantern Corps on bad terms when he joined the JLI. Imagine that, Guy Gardner leaving someone on bad terms. Anyway, uh, Hoover goes on to say, the last time he interacted with them, he got them all drunk in Green Lantern Corps number 211. By the issue's end, all of the other GLs pretty much hated him and wanted nothing to do with him, including Kilowatt. Aside from the possible exception of a brief interaction during a big crossover event, Guy and Kilowog didn't interact on panel again until JLA number 33. So when Guy shows up at the Citadel and gets into a scrap with Kilowog, it's not surprising because last he knew, Kilowog and all the other GLs pretty much hated Guy. But then when the two are panting exhaustedly, we see a high five. This is the surprise reveal that the two are actually on good terms. I feel it's a very important swerve in the issue and makes their high-five so unexpected and such a great twist. Aside from this glaring omission, you did a pretty good job talking about the issue. But as someone who appeared in Guy's solo book, issue number 36, I had to chime in and school you. Wow. Okay. So, uh, thank you so much, Hoover. I did not know the history there with Guy and the the GLs on being on such bad terms. And I did not know you appeared in Guy Gardner number 36. That's awesome, man. Very cool. Alright. As we move on to further feedback, I should point out that we are just picking out bits and pieces from your comments because there is so much feedback from every episode we would never get through all of it. Also, I have to apologize I am battling a sinus infection so I'm struggling with uh, my voice and congestion so I apologize. So, uh, next message is from Gus Casals from our Argentina Embassy our first international comment. He writes in to say Justice League Europe number 9 one of my favorite all-time standalone issues. Such a great story so many great character bits Sue is downright amazing Superman's observations about the League Ralph and Wally a special aside to Metamorph and Batman's interaction when Rex snaps out unstable that's hot coming from you I simply died and I've always loved Power Girl and the fact that this whole story is about her even with her actually only being there for a single page is great storytelling All right, up next is Michael Kramer, who says, The thing about Guy's airplane prank is the poor guy in the window seat could very well be William Shatner. (laughs) Guy certainly comes off as the gremlin that traumatizes Shatner's character in the Twilight Zone. That's great. Thank you, Michael. Then we heard from Jason Lady, who's the author of the young adult humorous fantasy novel, Monster Problems. Jason writes, I just got done reading for the first time the whole run of Batman and the Outsiders and the Adventures of the Outsiders on DC Universe. It's shocking that after all they went through together, Metamorpho's old teammates never looked him up after he returned from the dead. I think Halo was in a coma, but you'd think Katana, Geo Force, or Black Lightning would have had a joyful reunion with Rex. I read some of the Chuck Dixon run of Outsiders that came out much later, and Rex is back working with that version of the team that includes Katana. Did we ever see a reconciliation between those characters? Jason goes on to say, I was always touched by the scene of Ralph and Wally bonding over shared memories of Barry. I think you're right, Shag. This is a turning point for Wally. The validation he gets from a peer of his mentor matures him somewhat, and I don't think he's ever portrayed as skeevy again. Then he says, I wasn't a fan of the downpowering of Kara here. Other than Wonder Woman, DC didn't have female heroes on Superman's level. Jean is a Superman's level, but they didn't downgrade his powers. She eventually crept up to her old power level anyway. Yeah, that's a fair point, Jason. Uh, DC really didn't have a lot of powerhouse female characters at the time. Hmm... Then we'll hear from Mark Ross, who goes by Cluck Trent, and he says, I can't find issue number 33 on DC Universe. Do you know if it's missing or just filed incorrectly? Well, Mark, the sad news here is that there are gaps in Justice League America and Justice League Europe on DC Universe and even Comixology. Now, if you're looking for issue 33 or even 34, the best recommendation I have is to pick up either the physical printing or the uh, digital printing of the JLI Collection Volume 6. Both of those are in there. Comixology is running sales all the time for Justice League International Volumes, can get number six usually for five bucks, so it's well worth it, and you can always read in my beloved panel-by-panel mode. Then we we'll heard from Chris Franklin from the Firewater Podcast Network. key is currently in the middle of his annual House of Frankenstein, which is fantastic. He also does shows like Batman Nightcast and many, many more. Chris writes in to say, some nice insight into Guy Gardner from David Gallagher there. I need to find those Convergence Green Lantern books and check them out. My first issue of Green Lantern was number 116, where Guy gets zapped by Hal's defective power battery. I got it in one of those Whitman three-packs. Uh, I was flummoxed by the red-haired green lantern, he wasn't the guy in the Super Friends. Then Chris writes in to say that last page reveal of Aquaman. I felt that that was the coolest Aquaman had looked ever. And I always thought Aquaman was a much better character than he was often given credit for. But Adam Hughes' version, the pose, the costume detailing of the scales, the long hair, which was a new thing. He was boss! And as much as I enjoyed the book, I was that old-school JLA fan who liked it when the old guard showed up and showed the morons how things were done. And I was only 14! Then he goes on to say, Is it weird that I kind of like the art better in this issue of Justice League Europe? It's cleaner and less sinewy. The characters are still on model of Bart Sears' designs, but I feel it kind of works with the overall feel of the book better in some ways. I still like the aspect of Sears' works, but sometimes he puts so many lines on everyone's face, especially the female characters, they look like they're pushing 105 years old. Now, what Chris is referring to in Justice League Europe last month, you may recall, that Art Nichols and Bart Sears swapped roles, and Nichols was the penciler and Sears was the inker. So, interesting. Then Chris says there's no defending Batman here. He's a straight-up dick. I get that maybe he was pushing Metamorpho to see if he would react irrationally, but showing zero compassion for an old teammate showed he was clearly in the era of the unlikable Batman, or at least in his guest appearances. When writers outside of his main titles would write him, they would often take him to this extreme, and somehow that became the standard by which all writers hung their cowls. Ugh. Yeah, Batman was a complete and royal jerk in the last issue. There's no denying that. Then we heard from David A. Gutierrez, owner and operator of the Katana Banana. Now, don't believe those stories You've heard folks about him selling his interest in the business. None of that's true. It was just a bankruptcy ruse to mask corporate restructuring. He's still in charge. Anyway, David writes in to say, "I remember the Kahui Kahui Kui era being the time I kind of tapped out of comics. So these following months will be a revelation." I came back a few times to see what Adam Hughes had cooked up and stayed around in hopes there'd be a more Huntress. Luckily, JLA was readily available at supermarkets and convenience stores. Always an easy find. This also marks the final issue of Justice League Europe I bought off the stands. Justice League Europe was not as easy to track down. It seemed like the. Comic book stores, the odd B. Dalton or Walden Books were the p- other places that stocked Justice League Europe. Maybe, like me, they were turned off by the reduction of Supergirl's power set. I don't remember why it bothered me so much as a kid, but I, I think I resented DC having to make Superman the only person that possessed that power level. Amending Kara's powers to make her different than Soup's, I could appreciate that, but just to reduce her powers? Well, that seemed lame as hell. And this was a few years after Black Canary more or less had her powers removed, something I also didn't appreciate much. You know, David, that's an interesting point, building on the earlier point that there, there weren't as many powers powerful female characters at DC, both of them getting depowered in the league. That's, uh, yeah, that does kind of stick out, doesn't it? Uh, almost seems like if they're going to do that, then they really needed to play up more like the big Barda characters or someone to really have a fair representation of powerful female characters. Hmm. There were from Martin Gray from the Too Dangerous for Girl blog, also from our Scottish embassy, Martin writes, David Gallagher on Guy Gardner is fascinating, and he is so right about what a bad deal Guy Gardner got in the Bronze Age. The arrival of Carrie Limbo was when Hal, in falling for her manipulative ways, first acted like a heel. Heck, I bet she used her psychic power To snare the big green galoot. I stopped this episode to reread David's Guy Gardner Convergence Micro series, and it's really cracking stuff. It was smart of David to get to the editorially mandated fight with a hero of another world out of the way in a brief scene, leaving room for the stuff that interested him. He says, regarding the Justice League International issue, given that Dobie Gillis had a DC comic in the Silver Age, maybe Maynard G. Krebs was in the DC universe and Booster knew him. Oh, I love that. That's a wonderful no prize there, Martin. Thank you so much. Then he goes on to say, uh, as far as Justice League Europe number nine goes, as well as the medical drama, this is a great day in the life issue with lots of character work and progression. Totally my cup of cocoa. The uh, Art Nichols-Bart Sears combo is great, and I think I prefer this work to the Sears-Nichols look. Uh, it had the best of Bart, but with fewer pouty lips and constipated expressions. <laughs> For once, Power Girl looked like a human woman rather than a bitter witch. Ooh, wow. Okay. So more strong words about uh, Bart Sears' penciling and how much people like the roles reversed with Art Nichols and Bart Sears. Hmm. And finally, Martin says... the. Last page is wonderful. Power Girl's at peace with herself. I didn't see the result of the operation so much as an insulting power down, so more of a reset, returning the Earth 2 native to the power level she was meant to have. Now, see, Martin, that, that's where I totally agree with you. I, I can see what the other folks are saying about depowering Power Girl was not a good example for DC to set. I totally get that. But I agree with you that they were just trying to return her to sort of a golden age Superman power set to distinguish her from the current Superman. And, and it makes a lot of sense to me. So, um,. It's a bit of a split bag there, where I guess there could have been a lot better representation for strong female-led characters, but at the same time, I get why they did that to Power Girl. So, all right, up next is Liz Ann Oswald, who has her own YouTube channel. Liz says, "Cool seeing a fight with Guy and Kilowog. The overalls work for him." Yeah, I totally agree. I, I like Kilowog in the overalls as well. And then Liz says, "Aresia, not even sure what to think about her. Another in the top ten list of why Hal is creepy." Yeah, her existence makes Guy Gardner the better Green Lantern. Oh, there you go, folks. Good point, Liz. Then we heard from Symbol Pending, who runs a Power Girl blog and is in our UK embassy. Symbol writes, Well, obviously everyone loves Power Girl. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> Whilst I'm not a fan of the Atlantean retcon, and was anyone really, uh, I have no problem with her being reduced in power a little, though I'm not sure why they chose to do it, except maybe because she was also perpetually in one team or another. Well, I think the main reason, Simple Penny, why they did it was it, when she was just a character they showed up once in a while, it wasn't that big a deal. But when she was going to be a reoccurring character in a book, and she was essentially at Superman power level, they felt like, okay, Superman's the only Kryptonian. We've really got to differentiate uh, Superman from other Kryptonians. And that, that's really all I can think of, is, is they wanted to differentiate her from Superman. So. All right. Next, we heard from Tim Price, who has his own new podcast out called Outcasters, Batman and the Outsiders podcast. I hope you folks have checked that out, especially for those of you that love Metamorpho. Tim writes... Guy vs. Kilowog. When I first read this issue, I was shocked when they gave each other a high five. Maybe you guys mentioned it, but up to now, every time these two appeared in the same issue, it would turn into a fight. And some pretty nasty fights too. So seeing Guy pick a fight with Kilowog, no surprise. Having it turn on a dime into a good one, bro, my jaw dropped. Now, Given and Demetrius did a great job explaining it with the whole all those letters you wrote me deal. And the mind boggles. Guy can write? and it, it would take the time to write to Kilowog, an alien he used to dismiss as a commie? And then Tim says, don't worry, I'm not for a second saying that Guy is a good person, but this is one of those things that's done for laughs and for the plot convenience of bringing Kilowog in as a handyman that somehow has surprising layers. No, you're absolutely right, Tim. And uh, you're the second person who's uh, corrected us about Guy and Kilowog's relationship, so thank you for that. Then Tim says, as for Metamorpho and the Outsiders, I lay the blame totally on Batman here. He could have explained that Halo's in a coma and Katana's caring for her full time, Looker lost her powers, and I haven't heard from Geoforce or Black Lightning since. That's like two word balloons and done, explained. But no, you might have brain damage. Wow, that's friendship? And I'm not sure I think if it fits with Batman's character from his Outsiders days or not. Uh, I'll think about that as, during my reread. And then Tim says, and thanks for the shout-out for my podcast. Well, of course, Tim. Absolutely happy to promote uh, your podcast and others. We, we try and do it with everyone on the show. Uh, with your outsider show tying so nicely into Metamorpho, of course, bro. Then we'll hear from Everton Vieira do Carmo from our Brazilian embassy. He writes in to say, man, I forgot how beautiful Adam Hughes' art is. In addition, the Justice League Europe edition Blah Award should have been the Brazilian version of the... Lists out the, uh, the sequence where Superman goes to Paris, and he hears, "Look in a, in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman!" All that uh, in French, which uh, it was a pretty funny moment. And he thinks that should have won the Ball Haha ha Award. Well, thank you, ever Then we heard from Damien Drowett whiter from our England Embassy. He has a podcast he does with his husband called Should I Love This Comic? You should check it out. Damien writes, I think everyone above is right in saying that this is the point where Adam Hughes owned the book. Beautiful art and fantastic choreography. Aquaman is hot. Kilowog is a favorite of mine. Probably due to his entry in DC Comics being Millennium. Heck, I'm the guy who bought every issue of New Guardians. Oh, Damien, that's not a good testimony, man. You should rethink that. Um, (laughs) Damien says, This issue of Justice League Europe was a great personal Live episode. I remember liking the Art Nichols pencils. I was never really a huge Sears fan, and I preferred this. I didn't really come around to Bart's work until the Metamorpho issues that he both pencils and inks. Thanks again for mentioning my podcast. It continues to be hard work, but fun. I remain in awe of the Fire and Water Podcast Network as I'm struggling to produce one episode a month, and you guys are so prolific. Astounding. I presume you're all seriously sleep deprived. Uh, yes, Damien, we are absolutely sleep-deprived, and you can see that this show comes out only once a month, and sometimes not even that. The editing is really what is the killer with podcasting. Then we heard from Mike Dynas from the Canadian Embassy. Mike writes, As much as I enjoyed your discussion of the issues, I also really enjoyed hearing Shag talking to the guests about their comic origins at the start of each segment. Well done, everyone. Well, thank you, Mike. I'm glad you mentioned that, because that's one of the things I love about doing the show, is when we talk to somebody different and someone new, and learning about their comic origins, or how they fell in love with the JLI, or whatever, It just I think it brings so much extra to the show, rather than just going through the issues. Because we all love the issues. We all know them in and out. It's also a bit of an exploration of the guests. So, thanks, Mike. Uh, Then he goes, not to say, I believe Chris Franklin mentioned above that, quote, I was that old school JLA fan who liked it when the old guard showed up and showed the morons how things were done, end quote. Then Mike says, and I think that's why I love the JLI. These guys were morons, but lovable morons trying to do the right thing. With all the other comics I was reading at the time showing superheroes as their ideal characters that people should strive for, I found it refreshing to see superheroes act uh, like I would, or worse. They're only human, uh, Martian, uh, I mean from the future. You get the idea. And that's why I enjoyed the issue of JLA number 33 so much at the start of the Kuhui, Kuhui, Cooey storyline. Some of my most favorite issues of JLA are coming up, and I can't wait to hear your take on them. Well, we hope you enjoyed this coverage, Mike. Then we heard from Siskoi from the Firewater Podcast Network. He does shows such as Zero Hour Strikes, Gimme That Star Trek, and many more. He's in our Canadian embassy. Siskoid writes in to say, So, we can have Superman doing surgery like we're in the Silver Age story, but we can't have a fully powered Power Girl? Damn you, patriarchy! <laughs> Thanks, Siskoid. Then we heard from Justin Steiner who wrote in, I was a freshman in college when these issues came out. Still buying and reading comics, but not committing them to memory as easily as I had done in the years before that means I felt like I was reading these for the first time which is fun hey man Justin I totally get it buddy when I read Justice League Europe today it was like reading it for the first time I'm with you man he says Justice League Europe number nine I really appreciated the Ralph and Wally scenes great to have Bill Messner-Lobes on board to help shepherd Wally to feel more like himself rather than the total scumbag he's been in the book so far totally agree Justin then we heard from Diablo Frank from the World's Spine podcast, including the Marvel Superheroes podcast, the Spawnometer, and many more. Uh, he's commenting on some comments. He says, a Funny hearing Martin Gray's comments on the Sandman read on the JLI podcast. My first issue was number 28, and I bought it monthly from thereafter. So your recommended jumping off point was actually my on ramp. Blew me away as I went back through the trades. Then on to Dr. Angel's comment, I got a free tattoo when I was underage from Not My Aunt as part of a buy one, get one deal. But they were stingy on what they do for free. and Ankh was my penultimate choice at the time, and I wish I'd gotten that instead. Ugh. Now, here's something folks, a little known fact. Frank's very first tattoo, he got my name, Shag, tattooed as a tramp stamp on him. That's true. Ask him to show it to you. Then we heard from Francisco Cortez from our Canadian embassy, formerly of the Chile embassy. He writes, I feel like a celebrity. My comment was read on the podcast. <laughs> See Francisco, that's all it takes. You just leave us a comment. We'll read it on the air. It's just that easy. For those of you that haven't written in, please do. Uh, Francisco goes on to say, about this issue, I did didn't didn't mind that Power Girl lost some of her powers. But the costume she got later, the yellow one, it's not ugly in and of itself, but it would suit better for someone as Dr. Light or some other light-powered. And the bracelets never made sense to me. Oh, Francisco, we're going to have this fight, I think, every month about Power Girl's costume. I agree. Yes, it does look very Dr. Light-related. In fact, once Dr. Light rejoins the Justice League Europe, uh, her costume does become yellow and white, sort of similar to Power Girl's. But uh, there's just something about that. And you got to think of it more as silver and gold, uh, and it looks so stunning under Bart Sears' pencils. Everyone else draws it just kind of like a boring unitard, but uh, Bart really knew how to make it look great. That's just my opinion. And I'm running the show, so I'm right. <laughs> uh, then we heard from James Simpson. He says, two fantastic issues. Much like the guest host, Justice League Europe number nine was my first issue of Justice League Europe. It took me forever to track the issue of JLA. I began reading with the death of Superman, but this era has always been my favorite of the Justice League. Well, that's awesome, James. Thanks so much. Then we heard from JT the Exterminator. He says, for whatever reason, Justice League Europe number nine was always escape To me, as I scoured bargain bins to complete the series, eventually just ordered from mycomicshop.com. It was the very last issue I needed, and now I own them all. That's awesome, JT. Congratulations. Then we heard from Rich Matumoto. He says, "Loving it. Listen to the Bahaha Award for Just Like Europe number nine now. Both issues covered this month are great." You know, Rich, you're right. Both issues were great last month, and both issues were great this month. We are on a high in the JLI era right now. And the last comment comes from Ward Hill Terry. He says, "Where the hell's Jimmy McGlinchey?" <laughs> mm. Tell you what, Ward Hill, I will have the answer to that question on an upcoming episode. All right, now this is the part of the show where we thank everyone who uh, shared the show on their social media timeline, Facebook or Twitter. It's a long list of names. I get it, folks. However, these folks help support and promoted the show. They help get the word out there. They're helping new people find us every month. And it's so important that we recognize these individuals because it may be the only time they get mentioned in the whole show. So this time out, we're looking at over 70 names of folks who helped promote last episode. So our thanks go to 13 Photography, Al Girding, Benjamin Hall, Between the Pages Blog, Billy Delicious, Bleda Taftay, Boldly Kachan at Pocky's Drawing, Boosterific.com, Chris Franklin, Chris Lewis, Chris Leiden, Coffee and Comics, and Fan Film Fridays Podcast, Collected Edition Podcast, Comic Reflections, David Capoon, David Gallagher, David West, Derek J. Wyatt, Diablo Frank and the Rolled Spine Podcast Network, Dr. Ange, Dr. Jennifer Schwartz Levine, Ed Moore, Fredrico Hernandez, Green Lantern HG, Gus Casals, Jake Muir, Jeffrey Brown, Jeremy Daw, Justin Steiner, Kichi Baker, Connell, Lance Kunstman, Mark Lax, Martin Gray, Martin Kogan, Matt Ev, Max Romero, and is the Mirror Factory and It's Plastic Man, Michael Kramer, Michael Sims, Michael Dinas, Mo Walker, Old Boltineck, Paul Kean, Pragmatic Gollum, Ruth and Darren Sutherland in the Rat Adventures Network, Read More Comics, Rob Kelly and his Digest Cast, Superman Movie Minute, Treasury Comics Pod Dylan, MASH 4077 Cast, For All Mankind, Super Friends, and Mountain Comics, Rod Pruitt, Roger Priebe, Ryan Blake, Scott O. Brown, Scott X, Sean Ross in the Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Ciscooid, Super Lad Kid, Tim Price in Outcasters, the Batman and the Outsiders Podcast, Tomas Corsi, Train Trans, Lesbian, Planet Eater, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Yves Rohrbacher, and Zeb Oswald. My thanks to all of you for your support of the JLI Podcast. Your feedback is such a critical part of the show, and this community of JLI fans we're building together is absolutely fantastic, people. I adore all of you. And if I've forgotten or missed anyone, I am terribly sorry. It is probably the fault of David Gallagher or Nicholas Prom. If so, just drop me a note and let me know, and I'll be sure to include you in the next episode. So please keep those cards and letters coming, everyone. Our website is slash JLI. Leave your comments there on the show post. That's where most of the activity is going on then over on facebook you can find us under justice league international blah ha ha podcast on twitter we're jli podcast and our email is jlipodcast at gmail.com my thanks again to david gallagher and nicholas prom for appearing on the most recent episode and my thanks to you listeners for such a great collection of feedback from that episode now we're going to take a quick podcast promo break and we come back we'll see if we can bring rob darren and ruth together in the same embassy
2: Hi, I'm one of the High Priests of Conchu Ray and I have the sacred privilege of providing you, the loony listener, with a podcast honouring Marvel's very own Moon Knight. So join me and a host of others at Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or support the show by becoming a Patreon member. Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. It's time to get your Conchu on. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network.
3: We're a married couple who enjoy great stories of all kinds, including adventures, mysteries, science fiction, and fantasy.
2: Please join us for a variety of podcasts focused on a range of pop culture topics.
3: Trekker Talk is about 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. It's a blend of classic sci fi adventures and noir mysteries set in a retro future.
2: Xenozoic Xenophiles is about the comic Xenozoic Tales by writer and artist Mark Schultz. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs.
3: Warlord Worlds covers the many comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and The Legion of Superheroes.
2: Sensational Sluice, where we talk about favorite mystery novels, movies, and TV shows.
3: Fantastic Fantasies, where we share our favorite fantasy films and books.
2: And Amazing Adventures, where we discuss action-packed adventure stories.
3: Listen on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
2: Or visit RadAdventuresNetwork.com to find all of our shows and links to our social media pages.
3: That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren.
0: Okay, folks, we're back from break. And, yep, it appears the JLI teleporter has brought together Rob, Darren, and Ruth. Wonderful. Now, Rob, thank you so much for finally making the time to appear on this show. Oh, my gosh, it's only taken you four years. Buddy, why don't you tell the people at home where they can find you on the interwebs?
1: Well, I am all over the Fine Water Podcast Network, even in places I'm not wanted. Uh, so if you just go to finewaterpodcast.com. Odds are one of the shows that uh, shows up there will have me on it in some capacity.
0: <laughs> That's pretty true. And remember, every fourth Twitter account is actually secretly robbed. So you can check that out, too. Thanks for being here, Rob. I'm really glad you finally made it on the show.
1: I'm very happy to finally do this. I love this show. It's very, very proud of it. It's part of the network, and you've done a great job with it. And uh, I guess this is it for me, right? Because Aquaman doesn't come back, like, ever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, one time's enough, buddy. One time's enough. And I can't believe you just said something nice to me. I'm just going to take that segment and play it over and over every night when I go to sleep.
1: I did fall down earlier and hit my head, so maybe that is...
0: (laughs) Now, Darren and Ruth, I really appreciate you guys being on the show. It means so much to me. I I adore you both so much and it's just been a pleasure to hang out and chat with you and why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you guys on the internets.
2: Well, very good, Shag. Thank you so much for that. We do have several podcasts. They're all on the Rad Adventures Network and Rad is short for Ruth and Darren.
3: There's Trekker Talk about a 23rd century bounty hunter, Mercy St. Clair from the sci-fi adventure series Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall.
2: Xenozoic Xenophiles is about the series Xenozoic Tales by writer and artist Mark Schultz. A lot of listeners will know it as Cadillacs and Dinosaurs from reprint editions and a TV series.
3: Warlord Worlds covers the mini-comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and more. And we have a few other mini-episode podcasts, including Sensational Sleuths, Fantastic Fantasies, and Continental Comics.
2: If you're interested in a single show, then Trekker Talk, Warlord Worlds, and Xenozoic Xenophiles all have single showed feeds that you can listen to. Or if you want to follow all of our shows, just go to Rad Adventures Network, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can listen at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.
3: Or just go to RadAdventuresNetwork.com to find all of the shows and links to our social media pages.
2: Well, folks,
0: if you haven't tried out those shows, you're an absolute fool, because they're wonderful. And Darren and Ruth do an excellent job covering these comics, and they're engaging. Now, a lot of them, the stuff you guys cover, I haven't even read. And yet, I find your coverage so fascinating and interesting, in the insights, and then when you, you get a chance to talk to the creators and things like that, it's it's. Really really makes for an awesome show. And I love the way you guys put your network together. So fantastic.
2: You know, thank you very much, Shag. We might have gotten ideas from a couple of other podcasters. I don't know who they could be. With, <laughs> <who it laughs> I
0: am not even going to take credit for that because you guys have gone far and above anything that we could have done. So uh, you're kind to say that, but I, I know you're talking about two true freaks. So anyway.
2: I, I was going to say I didn't say I was talking about you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Congratulations, relatively geeky. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Darren and Ruth. And, uh, folks, that is going to do it. Come back next episode when we cover Justice League America number 35 and Justice League Europe number 11. And we'll have two more guest hosts to help me cover those issues. Who will they be? Come on, people. You know how this works. You're just going to have to wait and find out next episode. Thanks for listening, folks. Until next time, I'm Shag. And I'm Rob. And I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. And you've been listening to the JLI Podcast. Want to make make something something of it? it?